Today, here we are ready for lesson number five of the miracle life. And uh, I trust that today will be a very effective lesson for you. Lesson number one, Christ our model, M. Lesson number two, I, spell as an acronym, the word miracle, I, Christ our inspiration. Lesson number three, R, for our response to his mandate. Lesson number four, A, for action as his delegates. And today, lesson number five, C, for the credibility of the gospel. And next week, equally important, if not even yet heavier, lesson number six, the legality of our faith. And then the final lesson, uh, E, for the experience of his energy at work in us. But today, C, for the credibility of the gospel. This is a heavy lesson, very important. And I, I, I think I might as well talk about it now. Uh, I've, just, I've just gotten home from Thailand. We were there three weeks in two cities, in Bangkok and in Kung Khan. And uh, I don't believe I've ever experienced anything more gratifying than this time of ministry. And it, it's so significant that I would be able to share a little bit with you about that uh, in this lesson number five about the credibility of the gospel. Because I must say, you know, I, I know pretty much about the religions of the world. And, uh, and I don't think there's any religion, any religion that's so, so uh, encrusts the thinking of a person, so glazes over the thinking of people as Buddhism. I brought home a book, The Teachings of Buddha. I've known a little bit about it, but uh, now I know more. I've been reading that. And uh, the challenge to reach the Buddhist people is really enormous because almost everything that we teach in Christianity is equaled in Buddhism. Almost everything. <clears throat> but there are some differences, and the differences are what I'm going to emphasize today in this lesson the credibility of the gospel. And I'll, 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 I'll explain more of that a little bit later. But let me state again the big question that we're dealing with today. The big question. What makes our Christian witness believable? What makes us credible? Little questions, you'll recall some of these. What proof 
do we offer that Jesus Christ is alive? Or does that matter? Think about it. Does it matter? Another little question. Do Christian rituals without miracles have life-changing power? See, we have to live with these questions. In ministry to a hurting world, we must confront these questions honestly and respond to them. Another little question. If we don't share Jesus Christ with others, is it because we don't really believe in him? We share practically everything we believe in. What do you know about Jesus Christ that's so good that you can't possibly keep quiet about? Good question. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives proof of the gospel and makes us credible and believable if we harness it together. So that's what we're talking about. These lessons all are to, to, to help each of you. I, I'm coming here to speak because I think it's significant to be able to address this many young people who are going to, are going to share the gospel with your hurting world. Your world is shrinking all the time with, uh, with, the, with the websites and, the, and email and, and uh, jet aircraft and uh, TV. We, we think we, we, we come together more. I said to someone, uh, to some preachers in Bangkok the other day, I told them, I said, I had I had remarked to my wife in 19, along 1960, uh, when we were going to India and we came back, I told her, we won't, we won't ever have war with China. I told these people that. I said, there'll be no, mo no, no more wars like that because we've finally grown up and have found out we're stupid to kill our customers. Stupid. We need each other to buy products from. I think China would go broke if they didn't have us. Almost everything you pick up is made in China. And they won't shoot at us. We're their customers. And we won't kill them. We need them. So, so, so to, to, to discover the kind of a person that God wants us to be, so, why? So that we can experience the miracle life of Jesus. Why? So we can continue all that he began. And he takes us beyond religion to God's miracle life. That's what these sessions are all about. And that's why I've come to share them with you. They are affecting people wherever I share them with people. And, and we're so thankful for that. He takes us beyond religion to the miracle life of Jesus Christ. The scriptural base is the first four verses of the book of Acts, which constitute a bridge 
between the ministry of Jesus in the body of a Jew from Nazareth and the ministry of Jesus in your body in a town called Tulsa or wherever you go. But the same Jesus, the same ministry, the same Holy Ghost, the same power, nothing different. As that revelation grips the church, it, is, it, it, it will give them a new impetus in evangelization and in church growth all over the world. It is happening. The news is spreading. These talks are revving up young preachers all over the world. It's happening. It's happening. And it, 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 it's, a, it's a better viewpoint, a better perspective than we have had in the past. And so this lesson today is very important. We're talking the seven essentials that are necessary to continue Jesus' ministry. This is the fifth lesson, the credibility of uh, uh, our credibility as his witness. What, what makes, I ask you the question, what makes the Christian witness believable? It's the resurrection that proves the gospel. Acts 1 and 3, it says, and this is our base for the lesson today to whom he showed himself alive. Can you say the rest of it together with me? By many, in what kind of proofs? Infallible proofs. That's good proof, isn't it? He showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Tomorrow, we'll talk about the 40 days, what he taught during the 40 days that he came back and ministered to us. That, that's a shocker. Most folks talk about him. You know, he revealed himself and opened his hands. Yes, and he ate some fish and a honeycomb, and, and that's all they know. Forty days that he taught them. That's, that, I said tomorrow. I don't mean tomorrow. I mean the next session. Uh, Forty days. But, to, but today, to whom he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs, the credibility of the gospel. Today we deal with the most, probably the most, fundamental issue in Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what, first question, what does, in, I think you were given a piece of paper, and uh, on the back of it is the outline, what does the resurrection signify? And the answer to that question is, it signifies that the gospel is true. that it's credible, that it's believable. If he didn't raise from the dead, the gospel is of no value. Lock that in your spirit forever. If he didn't come back from the dead, you would not have life. What you claim would be a fake. Because he lives, you live. He came back with a new kind of life. The life that he came with died. He gave that life. He died. Three days later, God gave him the better kind of life and raised him from the dead with resurrection life, which is proof that all that Jesus 
taught is true. Jesus made a statement in John 10 about his works. And we should never overlook these works. But to start with, we're assuming that you're already up with me. We are to do everything that Jesus did. We're to continue doing what he did. That's the idea of Christianity, of the church, of the Holy Spirit coming upon us to continue doing what he was doing, what he did. In the 10th chapter of John, Jesus talked a lot about the works that he did. Evidently, there were, well, we know, there were many people who opposed him, did not like him, did not believe in him. He was a young philosopher from Nazareth, a carpenter, and had no right to be tooting off like he did. Got a big crowd which made the religious folks jealous. And, ever were, and his crowds grew, and they really didn't like the way he went at things. He had no right. He had no credentials. He had no degrees. He had no right to do what he was doing. And Jesus tried to help them, to, to help them understand who he was. That was a difficult problem. And he said, look, I understand that you don't like me. But even if you don't like me, what are you going to do about the works that I do? Now, what do you mean by that? Think about his works. Matthew 11. Think about it. Think about it. How the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised. All of these are creative works. You can't do that with religion. Religion won't accomplish those things. Only the creator God, by his power, his life, his spirit, can, can accomplish these things, these creative acts. I still don't understand how preachers of any denomination who do not embrace the miracle power of Christ in our generation, how they expect to convince non-Christians of the gospel. Without the miracles of Christ, then our Bible is a philosophical book, and our, our religion is empty, exactly like Islam and, and Buddhism and Shintoism and uh, and some other isms, with, see, without the miracle power of Christ. And, I, and, and I'll keep referring. I'll, I suppose I'll talk about it sooner or later this morning. But this, this Buddhism that I've just come out of, there, there's nothing like it for the Christian to witness to if the Christian doesn't have miracles. <clears throat> the, op the, 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 Bangkok, the Bangkok event, seminar and event, uh, because of Dr. Vitachai Kaway uh, an Assemblies of God uh, man, he was the superintendent for many years, he came as a little boy 
uh, when we were there in 1956 and ask the lady of the house where, who was hosting us, ask if he could bring his little mat and sleep under our window. We didn't know anything about it. He said, I, I, I believe that if I can sleep under his window, some of that will get off on me. <laughs> well, that, that dear little boy became, grew up and became, the next time we went back several years later, my interpreter, wonderful man, and then became a great leader and became a, the Assemblies of God a superintendent. Now he's retired from that so that he can go into a, a series of national uh, seminars all over the country to teach the book Soul Winning. And so we're fixing to send that to him, and they're going to translate it. We'll pay for it and pay for the books, and he's going to scatter those books all over the country. Isn't that wonderful? And he's so happy. And the young man that took his place, Brother uh, Andapak, I believe is the way you say his name, Anapak, Anapak, uh, and he... He is a most wonderful young man and was my interpreter in the Konkan Crusade. But, but because of Verichai, uh, Dr. Verichai's influence in Bangkok, he's very, very respected as a man of integrity. You can trust him. And, uh, and the preachers trust him. And so he hit for this in a big way, determined that every church in Bangkok, every denomination would be involved. And he sits on the board, I believe he's the leader of the board, of their, of their, of their national fellowship of churches, so they were all part of it. Some of them, though, only because of their absolute trust in Verichai. But he strained them too much and stretched them too far, and they were really nervous at the beginning. It was really funny. And so it was nice that the seminar took place first so that all of these preachers, and several of them, Church of Christ is the biggest organization in the country. You know, they're not very, very friendly toward miracles over here in this part of the country. But, but wonderful people out there. And they're, they're the ringleaders, and the Baptists and the Presbyterians they really had a tough time during the seminar because we talk things like I'm talking to you. You can't deny them, but they're not used to them. We're saying it in a way that they haven't heard before. So we laid it on them for seven sessions, and they took it in and, and, read, and read that paper every day with us and heard me tell them, when you get home and get on your knees, lay it before God, read it out loud until it becomes a part of it. And they were so lovely and so beautiful and so good to me and so loving to me, but so scared, you know. You know, it was so funny to watch it. And so, so I'm talking about credibility. What makes the gospel credible? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the first night, as the people came, they filled this big place that none of the preachers, all of the preachers voted against us using. But our crusade director knew what would happen and finally put their foot down and said, we are going to use this big park. 
They said, our people will not stand and they will not come. The Buddhists will not come. But the first night, they filled the park. <laughs> they filled the park. And no chairs, all of them standing. And these poor preachers sitting on the platform were so dumbfounded to see this. But that wasn't the best part of the story. They brought a man, before the meeting ever started, uh, while the singing, the preliminaries, they brought a man up the steps and set him there, 84 years old. I noticed his hands were like that. Well, it turned out this man was in our crusade in Trong in 1956, had been an incurable leper, and was eaten away. He had no nails. There were just little, little, uh, little hoofs sticking out. Not even that, just little pitiful thing. And his face was distorted in his ears and nose. Uh, a homely man, but a precious man. Precious man. Precious. And he sat on the front seat. These preachers didn't know this. <laughs> and so uh, our, our, my interpreter and Brother Vedichai told the story about this man. He was healed in 1956. Now he's 84 years old, well well, and after his healing in Bangkok, when we were there in 56, after that, he was so charged up by what we taught that he went back to North Thailand, where he had come from, and started studying his Bible and became a preacher and a minister of healing. That, that's not all the story. That dear man opened five churches in North Thailand and Start and ministered to the lepers 10 years after he, after we had had that campaign, 10 years after the government issued a proclamation that the two districts of North Thailand were free of leprosy. Isn't that a marvelous thing? Think of that. You say this don't work? This works. I have a letter. I carry it with me. I have a letter right, right there. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. From the, uh, from the, uh, uh, the, the head of the Bible school, Elmer Morrison, of the Pentecostal Holiness Bible School in Hong Kong. And he said, we invited Mr. Tsoi, a Chinaman, to speak at our Bible Institute in Hong Kong. He's been working as an evangelist in Thailand for two years and has now come back to Hong Kong. We asked him if he had heard of the Osborne Crusades in Thailand. He said that he not only knew about them, but that he attended them. Among the very interesting facts he related to us was the following. This, the, this is the head of the Bible school writing this. He said, marvelous healings by the power of God have taken place in Bangkok, the capital city, during the Osborne Crusades. I know personally of six lepers who are completely cleansed after prayer was made by the Osbournes for them. First, they, they, first they rectified, I don't, seems like a misspelled word, I can't make that the awful, 
They testified, there, the R is a T, should be a T. They testified that the awful burning sensation in their flesh had stopped during the prayer. Then later, I saw them when the diseased leprous skin had left the exterior of their bodies and their flesh was like that of a child. So clean and beautiful, the leprosy was completely gone and its disfigurements had disappeared from the six. I know that there were other lepers who were also healed, but of these six I have mentioned, I have personal knowledge from firsthand observation. Isn't that, isn't that marvelous? You know, and I, I, w- I, would, I, would, I would imagine that this dear man who's now 80, 84 years old was one of those six that got healed. I never knew about it being healed when we were there. I never knew it. But uh, healing lasts, doesn't it? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> it's wonderful. So, so, so I told this to make this point. When he sat on the platform, 84 years old, healed all of these years, opened five churches, leprosy wiped out in North Thailand, under his ministry, all these dear Church of Christ preachers and Baptists and Presbyterians, all of them, I was credible. That's my point. My ministry was credible. And it's better to say it, Christianity. No, they claim Christianity. So praying for the sick, ministering to the needy is credible. It's real. It works. Hallelujah. But without that, what are you going to do? you got nothing but a philosophy. <coughs> so today, young preachers, I'm after you. <laughs> I'm after you. God wants you to believe what I'm talking about today. Open to 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, <coughs> I declare unto you the gospel. Say gospel. gospel. <laughs> Have you studied that clover leaf thing, that, that, that icon out in the lobby? That, that's wonderful. Did you know uh, LaDonna, she worked ahead for me. I didn't know this was happening, but she contacted our crusade director and the preachers. She knows Brother Vidachai very well in Thailand. And we had that gospel icon about, it was ceiling to floor, the width of the platform. And it was, it was awesome how that facilitated proclaiming the gospel to the Buddhists. I would really encourage you, if you go abroad anywhere, make a big, make a big display of that. There's no words, no language, no translation, but you talk about a preaching point. It really is important to show the people the four facts of the gospel. It's very important that we know that. That simplifies the whole Bible. First Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I don't like to say brethren because they're sisters too, you know. It always kind of irks me how the translators uh, masculinized everything. But you women have to feminize it. 
you know. So that's a bad word. See, masculine is not a bad word. But feminize is a bad word. <laughs> See? But, uh, but you, need, you need to do that. <clears throat> I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins. My dear friends, my dear young friends, when you say that to a crowd of Buddhists, it means nothing. It means nothing. Did you know they don't have a word for God? The word for God is P-H-R-A, which means deity, hyphen Buddha. Buddha, that's deity, that's God. They don't have a word for Jesus. They don't have a word for the Holy Spirit. They don't have words for gospel teaching. When the missionaries came way back, they discovered, the, they confronted this dilemma, not being able to communicate. No words. And they began to make words. And so they took the pra, which means deity, and hyphen, and they put chow. I would spell it C-H-O-W. I don't know how they spell it. But prachow, that's God. They've made that word. But nobody knows it except the Christians. And so the Christians go out to witness to the young people, and the Christians are brought up in the church, and they're using all these words, and they think everybody knows them. It's like a computer specialist talking to me. He talks riddles, you know. Our world is, is, is becoming coded. Half of our language is codes. Like CDs, DVDs. Uh, there's 10,000 co word codes that you can learn the English language, but still you don't know what a pro is talking about. Because he, he, his vocabulary is, is coded. That's the Christians in Thailand. They go out with their coded language and talk to people, and the people bug their eyes out and look at them and don't know what they're saying. And they haven't woken, awakened to that yet. Maybe God will call some of you to move to Thailand, invest your life there. Some of the Finns have done that. Some of the Norwegians have done that. It's time for some Americans. Some Americans have done that. It's, it's the most wonderful field, most wonderful freedom. It's a Totally Buddhist monarchy, but with total freedom. If you ask permission, they'll give you freedom to do anything. Nobody will ever uh, hold you back. And the Buddhist people are so precious and so sweet and so, so reticent and so acquiescent and so timid. Uh, they, they spend their life like this, you know. Uh, you know and, and, and they do that to each other, and nobody believes in anybody 
Everybody's scared of everybody, and everybody wants to bow before everybody, and they can't walk in front of anyone without almost crawling, which, which their whole system, culture, it has no self-enlightenment. Uh, Buddhism is enlightenment, supposed to. It has no self-light. Paul talked about light of the gospel. And so maybe some of you, because of me, me coming back here and talking on this subject today, maybe some of you will move to Thailand and will initiate a program. You know, when, I hope I come back to the thought. When I wrote Soul Winning, I wrote it because there was no book in Christendom for winning souls. The only thing that existed was Spurgeon's little booklet that Moody, with his permission, copied, and denominations copied it, and that's all that was in circulation when I wrote Soul Winning. And I wrote it and sent it to 125,000 uh, national leaders and missionaries all over the world, and that's the book that is the seed package that thrust the church out of her four walls, out where we said at that time, we named it out where the sinners are. We changed that sinners, kind of a derogatory word, so we say out where the people are now, you know. And so, it, so, so I did that and have changed the world. The book has changed the church worldwide. No question about it. You can do that. Help Thailand. Help Thailand, help the preachers of Thailand discover we're talking code language. We're a club. Let's explain ourselves when we go out to our precious Buddhist people that are so acquiescent and bowing before us and all that stuff. Let's, let's give them hope and straighten them up. There's got to be a culture change. They're ripe. I tell you that place is ripe. Christ died for our sins. What does that mean? We don't know what sin is in Thailand. Buddhists don't know what sin is. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't like for Americans to come over there and preach because our, our religion is bloody. Theirs is not bloody. They don't shed blood. They don't kill anyone. Americans make bombs and kill people. I'm just trying to stir you up and provoke you to think, what would you say? You're a Christian. You claim to be Holy Ghost filled. What would the Holy Spirit speak through you to the Buddhists? Yeah, makes you think. Well, do you think in here instead of maybe like I did in 1956, have to face it <laughs> on location? Yes, got you thinking. And I'm just starting. In 56 years of ministry, 57 years of ministry, I've never dealt with such a precious people as the Buddhists. <laughs> and never so difficult to get through them. The only place that compares is Poland with the Catholics. Catholicism has so encrusted the Polish people, even the communists and Hitler, never did drive Catholicism, faith, out of the precious Polish people. They clung to it. And to go there and preach, that's what you confront. You're, they're glazed over with a Catholic understanding of everything you say. 
Everything we say in Christianity, the, the Buddhists know about it. Peace, oh, that's what they are. Kindness, that's all they are. <laughs> blessing, yes, that's all we have. The infinite one is blessing. Anything you mention, but the Pentecostal has the hope, the power, the miracles, the resurrection of Christ. And without that, we're in trouble. <laughs> God's going to call some of you to Thailand, and, 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 and Burma's going to open. we got to open it. God won't open it. He don't do things like that. That's what we do. See? See? So what are you going to tell the Burmese? They're Buddhists. Be thinking about it. I can tell I've got you thinking. Good. He, Christ died for our sin. We know what that means. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> According to the scriptures, he was buried. He rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. He was seen of Capus, then of the twelve. These are the facts that make Christianity credible. He's still appearing. He's still showing himself. He's still performing the supernatural. He's still resurrected. Because he lives, we live the same kind of life. I'm telling you for sure, me as an old man, I wouldn't go out to a country like that if I didn't know these things. It'll work the fire out of you. I'll tell you, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a job to communicate. But that's what the Holy Spirit is for. Some people, all they get is tongues. I, I believe in tongues. I speak in tongues, of course, of course. But there's more to it than that. This Holy Spirit, the nature of God that's come to work in us and through us is a powerful teacher and a powerful expression of God through us. You believe that? Yeah. He was seen of Cephas. He was seen of the twelve. He was seen of about 500 brethren at one time. Did you know when we were in Trong? Did you ever hear that story? When we were in Trong? That's, uh, that's down close to the Malaysian Peninsula. We were there. Over 100 people saw Jesus one night. Anna Jean Price at, at CFNI was, was her, she and her husband, he passed away later. They were with us. Ask her. Over 100 people saw Jesus. One night while I was preaching, a rickshaw driver yelled, who's that man in white up there? And everybody looked and they began to see him. And when we had testimonies, so many people told about it that we said, wait, this is too great. Let's come back tomorrow in the daytime. Let the city come together. It turns a little town. Let the people come together and let everybody that saw the Lord tonight come and tell it. Over a hundred people testified the next day. I wish the whole world could have witnessed that. See, Jesus is still appearing to people. He's not dead. He shows himself alive. By the way, two of those preachers Jesus appeared to while we were there <laughs> preaching. Isn't that wonderful? We can preach it, but we can't confirm it. Without his confirmation, we're in trouble. With his confirmation, the devil's in trouble. Isn't that wonderful? 
that God would, that Jesus would show himself to two of those preachers. <laughs> it, it really, it really, it really did something to him. After that, he was seen about 500. And then he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, last of all seen of me. Paul, you were wrong because I saw him too. You weren't the last. <laughs> but at that time, he was the last one. And people down through the centuries have seen the Lord. Hattie Hammond preached, if you ever see Jesus, you'll never be the same. Well, I want, I want to urge you to understand the best picture you ever get, will ever get of Jesus is his word. That's the best. It's nice if you have a vision. That's good, but don't bank on that. This is what you bank on. This is true. You believe that? Notice how strong Paul feels about this. Ephesians 1, 16. I cease not to mention you in my prayers, 17, that God may give to you, I wonder if you've noticed this. Look close. See what your Bible says. It might be translated different than mine. Mine's King James. I don't know what yours is. Uh, look at this. That God, verse 17. Maybe I better, I've left out some words. Maybe I better go over here to Ephesians 1, 16, 17. There we are. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. See, I left out those fancy words to get it quicker for an interpreter. You have to do that, preaching with an interpreter. Add all these 16th century things, and it'll tangle them up. You got to keep it simple. Say it's simple. Get to the point. And they don't care about the numbers. <laughs> they don't care about the numbers. Deuteronomy 32, 47. They don't know about that. They don't even know who God is. So forget all your fancy terms and all your numbers. Why bother with that? <laughs> you know. <clears throat> that God... May, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and what else? Revelation. Huh? Revelation. revelation. What? What kind of revelation? In what? Now stop and think about that a little bit. If you have the knowledge, don't you have the revelation? Not necessarily. Paul is praying that the, he said, he, he, is, he as much as said, my lifetime has been given. I've memorized the whole scriptures because I was trained as a rabbi and it's incumbent upon a rabbi to know all of the books of Moses and all the Psalms and all of the prophets. I knew them all, but I missed Christ. No wonder Paul is praying. He says, I never quit praying for you that you, that God may give you, like he gave to me, revelation through this knowledge you're getting. You know so much, but is it revelation? Very important point. I think that is one of the serious things that can happen in the charismatic world. We can be like, become like a bunch, of, a bunch of Catholics. We know all the codes. We know all the creeds. We know how to say the lines. And we know how to stomp on somebody if they change one word and use a verb that's wrong or a preposition that they didn't memorize. But miss the revelation. 
Come with me to the peoples abroad. You'll hear the revelation preached. The understanding of Christ. I don't want you to think that I think I'm smarter than anybody. No, I just want to I'll, I'll, come on, you student. I want to come down on you as hard as I can. There's a world out there that don't know a thing about what we know. They need us. They need us to come to them burning, burning with the news that somebody came back from the dead and took the sins of the world and the diseases of the world. And if you just believe on him, you can have health and a new life from God. Burning with that so that nothing else matters. That's our message. That's what the world is begging for. And if you're burning with it, they'll believe you. Even a Buddhist will believe you. that God may give you revelation in the knowledge of Christ. And then he, then he elaborates on it, that big long sentence that is one of the most powerful sentences in the New Testament in his writing, that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand. No preacher that's gone for hasn't preached on that. That's powerful. Hallelujah. Believe you me, when you face crowds that I've been facing, you'll, you'll hang on to that knowledge that, 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 that in which your revelation is solid, is unbendable, unchangeable. You'll cling to this power that is wrought in us when he saved us and filled us with his Holy Spirit. You'll cling to that. And when you look at that field of blank faces, you'll cling to the revelation of the Jesus who came back from the dead and has come to live in you. And you'll act on it. And you'll believe it. And you'll put it to the test. And you won't budge. And you'll smile and look in their faces and make it happen. Glory. Hallelujah. That's our ministry. That's our ministry. I know the picture's a little different when you're dealing with one or two or three, a small group. We out there with those big crowds, you know. I understand the difference. But the believing isn't any different. The believing isn't any different. And, and, and what we have to do is be convinced of the gospel. Paul talked about it. It, it. This is the message by which you're saved. <clears throat> Wherein you stand, which you've received, and by which you're saved, if you keep in memory what I preached to you, unless you believe it in vain. That's quite a statement, isn't it? That's what we do when we go out and face those people. We believe this message. It's revelation to us. And we know it'll stand the test. And we come out there and confront this, this, the, these people that are so blank and so different, but so beautiful and so polite and so courteous. <laughs> you know, and, and if you care for people, it'll make you weep to watch them. They must have Jesus. We must give them the message in a way that they can believe it.
Romans 6, 8. Now if we be dead with Christ, we'll also live with him. I like to put that like this. Now if we be dead with Christ, we are also alive with Christ. That's a better way to translate it. We shall live with him. Everybody thinks of, of eternity. No, no. It's life from God is now through Christ at the cross. If we don't believe that, let, let's not bother people with teaching. Let's go listen to someone. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. If we be dead with Christ, we're also alive with Christ. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but what did he say? Christ lives in me. That can become a cliche if we're not, not careful. If he lives in me, what for? To do, continue doing what he did when he was here. Hallelujah. How big will you let Christ be in you? That'll be our last lesson. And that'll really get, get close to you. Hallelujah. Be thinking about that. How big can Jesus Christ be in you? What size is he in, in you? What are your limits for him? Of course, you women really need to think about that. But the men too. You, Christ can't do much through a woman, you know. Wow. John 14, 19. No, I, I shouldn't leave that like that. He can do anything in a woman. He can do in anybody. Yeah, I didn't mean to leave that hanging. <laughs> Someone jump on it and say, T.L. said he can't do anything in a woman. No, you got to watch it. John 14, 19. Because I live, you shall live also. I believe that. Young preachers, young people, if you don't, if, if it hasn't, really been birthed in you that this Christ that walked the shores of Galilee lives in you, has come and lives in you. He can only do it because he purged you of your sins. If you weren't purged of your sins, he couldn't live in you. You could blow all you want to about your religion. He couldn't live in you. If that's such a great fact, teach that. Be excited enough about that. Tell people that. They don't know that. You want to minister in America? Preach that. They don't know that. Churches don't know that. Tell them. Say, I will. Hallelujah. <clears throat> wow. <clears throat> You've no doubt heard me, heard me tell about Cornelius, the, the, the crippled uh, African beggar. Uh, 30 years hadn't walked. Muslim. His wife came to our meeting. She was crazy about it because she saw these miracles and she thought there was hope for her husband. He had polio when his little boy crawled for 30 years, crawled with pieces of tires wrapped around his knees and on his hands. So she rushed home to tell her husband, and he told her to shut up and not tell him any more about that because he was a good Muslim. He wouldn't go to a Christian meeting. Most of you have heard me tell this, but I'll, I'll fill in the gaps just and make it as quick as I can so that you'll know God, God, God will confirm you. 
I didn't heal him. Don't blame me for it. I didn't do it. God did it. I preached the gospel. I didn't know he was there. God knew he was there. Make that your way. Don't heal somebody and hang out your shingle and say, I'm a healer now. That's silly. Let God be the star. You know, everybody's wanting to touch, wanting an anointing from somebody as though God don't matter. Let God be the star. See, and, and, and let him have the credit. And, and, and withhold your shingle. Just keep preaching. And it'll keep working for you. So she told, he told her not to tell him any more about that. Well, she sneaked off and came again the next day and saw more miracles. And she was so wrought up about it that she felt she just had to take the risk and tell him again. Went home and told him again. He took his big whip that the Muslims drive cattle with and beat her up real good and said, don't ever talk to me again. He was a professional beggar. That's the kind that stops at certain places, certain hours of certain days. And they give him an alm. And, uh, and so one of the places that he would stop, Cornelius would stop, was the king's palace. The king was, uh, was with us in the crusade a great king, one of the greatest kings in Africa, 84 years old at that time, King Akinyele, and he sat in his big chair on our platform. He never smiled because kings don't smile, but he cried. Tears run down. <laughs> He'd try to hold himself from smiling, but he loved it. He loved Daisy and me, and, and, and he, would, he never failed to be there. So one of the places Karimu always stopped on Friday was the king's palace. And the king would send a servant out with an alm for him. So this time, this, right after this whipping that he gave his wife, it was Friday. And he made his rounds at the king's place. And behold, instead of the king sending a servant out, the king himself strode out to the road with the alm. And it shocked Karimu. And he put it in his hands and patted him on the shoulder and said, Karimu, I'll see you tonight at the racetrack. <laughs> Ain't that beautiful? Oh, that's wonderful. God, God looks out for the lost and, that, and for the witnesses. That little woman did all she could. She witnessed. When she couldn't do it anymore, he did the rest. And the king, when the king tells you, I'll see you at the meeting, you go to the meeting. <laughs> yeah, and, and he came. And he didn't come, didn't get in the crowd, way out of the edge, listened. And isn't it wonderful how God always arranges things? What did I preach on? I preached on the death, burial, and stressing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the Muslims don't believe that, see. I didn't know he was a Muslim. I didn't know he was there. I knew there were Muslims in the town, lots of Muslims there in our crowd. But, uh, but I just preached it for the general public. And Kadimu listened to that, and it amazed him. And it really stirred him. And so then when we got ready for prayer, uh, being a good Muslim, he tried to be as reverent as he could and bowed his head. But two people picked him up. On his, on, his, on, 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 on his legs and held him up. And so he peeked. He didn't know who was, who was helping him. He didn't know of any friends with him. And he looked, and there wasn't anybody. It was angels. Angels had done it. They picked him up. God will confirm you. Preach the gospel. He will confirm the gospel. He was healed. He was standing there. He looked down and saw himself standing. He went crazy with joy. He... he 
pulled those pads off of his knees and swung them in the air and started yelling like a crazy man coming through the crowd. And the crowd went wild because everybody knew Karimu. And Karimu was healed. He came to the platform. I'll never forget. I've always said he preached the most eloquent resurrection sermon I ever heard preached by any theologian in my life. He stood there holding to the, to the banister and swinging these things saying, Jesus must be alive. Otherwise, how could he do this to me? If he's dead, how could I be like this? You know me. You know me. 30 years, you know me. He must be alive. What eloquence. What eloquence. Hallelujah. What a story. What a story. Oh, boy, they're wonderful. What, what, what God will do to confirm his word, and he'll do it for the Buddhists. He's doing it for the Buddhists. Hallelujah. Up in Konkan, the first night, I only prayed for deaf people. I didn't want to rush it. I wanted them to uh, just, just think this thing over. And, and there was a whole bunch of them healed. And, and, I, and when they came up and testified, and all of a sudden, an old man sitting way out there in the crowd just got up from his wheelchair and strode over here to report it, strode up the steps, left his wheelchair, someone else. There was, there was an African there, a precious African. He went over there to get on dope because lots of dope in Thailand. He went over there for that, but he got converted. And he came to the meeting and he... God bless the Africans. <laughs> and he raised that wheelchair up in the air and shouted all over the place. We had a camp meeting. I was credible in Konkan among the Buddhists when that old man got up out of his wheelchair and walked. How are we credible without something supernatural? Otherwise, we're philosophers. Young people, don't be a philosopher. Don't memorize all the, the dogmas and the creeds where they become stale to you. Life, this is life. Life. Blood, flesh, hurting people, scared people, empty people, confused people, unloved people. The world's full of them. That's what keeps me going. This has been tough for me, this trip. This, you know, you ever see where time is? It's the other side of the world. You come back and you're all cockeyed. The sun's the opposite of what it ought to be. I've had a terrible time getting over it. I ought to stay home. I'm too old for that, you know. But I've got to keep doing it if you don't do it. You've got to do it. Then I, can, then I can let up a little bit. <laughs> I had a reason in coming in here. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to find replacements. Yeah, yeah. All you young folks talking about changing the guard. Yeah, they're changing it, okay. But somebody better do something. <laughs> right? Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. <laughs> that man was healed and I was credible. What distinguishes Christ's ministry? Did I, did I talk about those Indian and Chinese philosophers at, at Victory? Did, you, did, did I tell you? I don't think I talked to you about that. Something, something real helpful if, you're, if, you're, if you'll think a little bit. You, you'll have to think. 
<laughs> There's only been two attempts to find God. Did you know that? Since the beginning of time, two attempts, major international attempts to find God. One was moralism, and that's the Hebrews. Don't let that go over your head. Don't let that scare you. Think, think. We're trying to find God. The Buddhists are trying to find God. The world is trying to find God. That's our mission, to show people who God is. That's why Jesus came. Only been two attempts, major international, big religious attempts to find God. One was moralism. That was the Hebrews handed down from Abraham through all the generations, moralism, and the, the rabbis, you know, uh, and, and uh, you know, turned it in, and the priests turned it into a game, a money-making game. They could make money off of the sacrifices and all that goes with it until the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, the other prophets became uh, expressing God. They were sick of the whole deal. Didn't want any more. It wasn't working. The Torah, the Talmud, the Mishnah, the tractates, all this stuff, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books made out of the Ten Commandments, detailing every detail of your life, what you were to do, what you weren't to do, moralism, to make you moral, a good person before God, qualified before him, and especially before the rabbis. And what was the best that moralism produced? The Pharisee. The Pharisee that says, I'm holy, you're not holy. I'm good, you're awful. I'm sacred, you're secular. Me, I'm righteous, I shouldn't get close to you. That's the best that moralism was ever able to produce. Okay, what about the other philosopher or philosophy was the word that you young people need to know this, was the word they used for education. They didn't have universities. They didn't have schools of learning. They had philosophers. And the philosophers imparted knowledge. Did you know that? That'll help you understand this. This is real important to the foundation of what we believe. So, in Jesus' time, what was it? That was about 300 years after Aristotle and Plato and Socrates, those Greek philosophers, you know, and, uh, and, and, and Jesus came, and their descendants, their descendants, all, they were the pros. They were the real ones that had the, 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 the top-notch pupils as students that followed them in their little groups. And they were everywhere. But there were not only the Greek philosophers, the descendants of Aristotle and, and Plato and Socrates and others, but there were also, you remember where 
the Holy Land is located. Look at it. It's right between Rome and India, Rome and China. Here comes China, the traders, with their silk and all their precious goods across through the Holy Land to get to Rome, the center of money. Here come the Indian philosophers with their gems and the beauties of India trading, making money, and, and bringing their philosophers with them. And all of it was an amalgam of Greek and Chinese and Indian and, Indian and all kinds of, 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 of pagan philosophers and teachers in the country. The country was made up of that. And then here comes a young man called Jesus of Nazareth. Well, he was a teacher. And they were kind of the, 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 the smart people, uh, these, 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 these philosophers, they were kind of uh, al alarmed at what this young guy was teaching. They said, where did he learn all this? We know it's from Nazareth. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. What, what, what's, the guy, what's the guy teaching? How did he know all this stuff? But back up here a little bit and think about these, these, these people, all these people, inundating the, the minds of the youth of the country. This will help you, young people. The greatest philosopher that was known in India named Shankaracharya. He was the one venerated by everybody as the wisest one. Now, none of these philosophers knew what's up there. They didn't call it God. None of them. Not the Greeks, not the Hindu, not the Indians, not the no, nobody, no, nobody, not the pagans. It's God's, God's. The emperor was a god. They worshipped him. All kinds of gods. But, but who is it? What's up there? Everybody, look at me, young people. The world is still searching what's up there. Do you know? How do you know? Is it a code that you picked up in a Bible school? Or do you know who's up there? If you don't, you're in trouble. The world is just like it was back then. They haven't yet found what it is. Hindus usually call it it. Not, not he, no, it. They don't know what it is. But Shankaracharya finally was persuaded to go public with his revelation. And he decided what's up there. And he called his main, you know, philosopher students around him and made the announcement that it was neti, 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 N-E-T-T-I. Okay, what does neti mean in the sun? It means not that, not that. Now, ain't that wise? Isn't that brilliant? Not that, not that. So you know it's not that. <laughs> see, see. What about the, the uh, Lao Tse, the greatest Chinese philosopher, was persuaded. Uh, the world wants to know what it is. They don't know. 
So they, they were af they're after these big philosophers all the time. What is it? Tell us. And they won't because they don't know. And finally, Lao Tse decides to come forward and has his group of philosophers and makes his announcement for the world. And he says, it is silence. That brilliant? Silence. Stop and think about it. Everything connected with it is, is, is non-material. Anything that's material is wrong. Everything on this earth is wrong. Every desire is wrong. That's why the gospel is the, the total opposite of Hinduism. Because the Hindu cannot want anything or reach for anything, or he'll be reincarnated maybe as, a, an, as an insect or an animal or a leper or something. See, so it, the, the worst thing that a Hindu can do is want something. And we come to the, with the gospel and, and all things whatsoever you desire when you pray, believe, they, they, don't, they don't desire nothing. No. Ask and it shall be given. You don't, you don't ask for nothing. Whatever you are is the result of your past incarnations and they are what gave you the life that you have and you've got to be careful with it or you'll be, you'll be reincarnated backwards. Instead of improve, you'll get in a worse shape. Neti, not that. Silence. Silence. So if it makes a sound, if there's anything in this world, it's not that. Silence. No, it's silent. Because silence doesn't constitute anything material. See? Brilliant, isn't it? Now, these kind of blabbermouths going about the country, infiltrating the minds of the young people, of the epoch throughout the Bible uh, lands. And here comes this young Nazarene, this young Jew. He has a different message. And they can't figure it out because he's so brilliant. He says they don't know where he learned these things. And they're alarmed. And, and, and everywhere he goes, his crowds are growing. And that makes it worse. And I see him on the mountainside, don't you? We all have a picture of that. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7, you know. And teaching, this brilliant teaching that no philosopher has ever equaled. He's from God. He's showing us what God is like. But it's hard for us to catch on. Religion obstructs our perspective. He teaches this wonderful teaching. When he finishes, I suppose maybe they sing a hymn and maybe then he dismisses them to go back to their villages and uh, to their homes and uh, so forth. And he comes down the mountain. Don't you see the picture? And starts down the road heading to the next assignment or the next place. And behold, in the road comes a leper falling down before him, crying out, Teacher! I know if you will, you can make me clean. What could Aristotle do for that? What could Socrates do for that? Huh? Let's not be like a philosopher. We have something to give. Jesus said, yes, I will be cleansed. And the leper was healed and stood up and was well. That distinguishes Jesus 
from all of the philosophers of the world. Hey, write this down in your mind. Jesus is the only spiritual teacher in all the world from all religions who came back from the dead to prove his teaching. Young people, if that truth isn't important to you, you're in trouble. You're just, you're just playing. You're just playing. That is the bottom line. Our teacher came back from the dead. No other leader can say that. Another thing. Our leader, Jesus Christ, whom we worship, the Son of God, is the only spiritual teacher who ever gave his lessons and then performed miracles to prove it. The only one. No Hindu, no Muslim, no Shintoist, no other religious leader in the world ever gave his lessons, taught the people, then said, hold on, I'm going to pray to the God or the gods that I've told you about, and he will do miracles that will benefit you and prove none. No, they've never even had the idea. And that's the heart and core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the idea of these seven lessons is to impress upon you that we, he came to take us beyond religion to the miracle life so that we can continue what Jesus showed us how to do. As that truth grips young people around the world, we're going to see arise a host, an army of young people that are going to go out and cleanse lepers and raise the dead and do all sorts of marvelous things because that will be their goal. We have to give proof of what we believe. We get rid of this religious stuff all this silly stuff that we play with at home and we'll go do big kingdom business. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. Right. Right. Do I need to quit yet? Have I got any more time? Some more time? I forget when we quit. Huh? 12.20. Yeah. I thought, yeah. So, 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 so look. Here, here. Do you see the distinction? Jesus is not a philosopher. The others, they could teach, but they couldn't do the works that the Creator does. The resurrection makes that possible. Question. What is, why is the resurrection vital to Christianity? Here's what Paul said. If Christ be not risen, then our preaching's vain. Your faith is vain. We are false witnesses of God because we've testified that God raised up Christ. You're yet in your sins. Those who are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. He outlined it well. Didn't he? This great man, this great brain, this great man, 
He knew what it was to be a philosopher. He knew the resurrection separated everything. And he outlined our problems if we don't proclaim the risen Christ. Beautiful job, didn't he? I ask, relative to Paul's statement, is our preaching vain? Is our preaching vain? In Nakuru, Silas Owiti was just here. He, uh, in the crusade in Nakuru, he worked one side of the platform, and the Finnish missionary O.K. Soderlund worked the other side of the platform. I didn't even know they were doing this. Daisy had arranged it. When the campaign was finished, and we had a little banquet with some of the preachers there, they gave a report. They had counted 63 totally blind people who had been healed in that crusade. Now think of that. Now, don't blame me for that. I didn't do it. Uh, I'm not to blame. God, blame him. He did it. He did. Uh, and they explained. Now, we didn't, we, didn't, we didn't count the people who were blind in one eye or partially blind. Only totally blind. 63. Look, I, I, I say again, I didn't do it. I wish we could get our American preachers to quit trying to do everything themselves and preach the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do his work and give the credit to the Holy Spirit and his word. I w but, but the reason they don't, they haven't had the revelation of the seed of the word of God and what the gospel really means. Once that happens to you, once you understand redemption, Okay. Bogota, we counted in one, at one time five wheelchairs in the air, 11 pairs of crutches, 21 canes at one time. And they were up and down all the time. But one time we counted that many in the air. By the way, those preachers, those dear preachers <laughs> in Bangkok, <laughs> the, on the second night, there were three wheelchairs in the air at one time. <laughs> and it shocked them so much. <clears throat> I guess I shouldn't laugh at them. Is our preaching vain? Preach it, God will confirm it. Believe it, God will make it good. Hallelujah. Is our faith vain? We went to Lubumbashi. We found the big field to use. The mayor wouldn't give it to us. He told us that's the worst section of our city. All the prostitutes and all the, all the terrorists are there, uh, live in there, and our police won't even go in there. We said that's why we came, Mr. Mayor. Give us that place. He, we finally prevailed on him, went there. At the end of the crusade, we had a parade, and the mayor joined the parade, and he told us, we haven't had an arrest in that area since the crusade began. It's changed our city. See, hallelujah. Is our faith vain? Is our faith vain? Preachers came to me when we were there as guests of the president and, and reported so many miracles that happened. One preacher came to me weeping. He was showing me an old worn out book of the good life they call it la vie comble, the, the fulfilled life. And, uh, and he, 
he told me, he said, Brother Osborne said, I'm sorry that I want to give a better report. He said, I've only opened 45 churches. He said, most of them have opened more churches than I have, but I've done my best, and I'm still working at it. <laughs> Think about that. Now listen, let me ask you something. Is our faith vain? Listen, I went to preach in Benin City for Benson Idahosa and Margaret before Benson died, just before he died. I went there. They had begged me to come for quite a while, so we had a big meeting. He wanted me to address the preachers. When we went there in 1950, probably 56, uh, no, 54, I think. When we went there, yeah, 54. When we went there, there were almost no preachers. Little, little, little colonial preachers, you know. Little subjects to colonialism. You don't know what that means, but I do. <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, nice little people, you know. But they didn't, they didn't, they weren't going anywhere. And, and, and we preached. And we preached, and we preached, and we taught, and we taught, and we taught, and we published books. Loads of them, loads of them, truckloads of them, tons of them, gave them to the people, hallelujah, and they went to work on them. Benson Idahosa's work began, and, and, uh, uh, and it's, it's marvelous. But when we went back this last time, just before he died, I said all that so that you would value what I'm fixing to tell you. They, 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 there were too many preachers coming to have them in the big uh, temple, uh, the big uh, arena, the church. It's, it's a, an enormous arena, three decks high, three galleries high. And so they had it in the open air, and they put up an enormous platform, and all the preachers were gathered under the open sky. And when Benson introduced me, here's what he said. I'm talking about, is our faith vain? When he introduced me, he said, Brother Osborne, before the people, he said, we welcome you to come and teach us. He said, you won't have to, you won't have to make an invitation for sinners. These, these people are all already saved. They're serving God. There's 17,000 people there. You don't need to make an invitation. They're all saved. Then he added, he said, you won't need to pray for the sick because you taught us that when we accept Christ, healing is ours. Yeah. And he said, these are all already healed. You don't have to pray for the sick. Yeah. Now, I never had an, an introduction like this. Then he said, Brother Osborne, you won't need to cast out any devils because you taught us that devils and Jesus don't live together. None of these people have devils. Think of that. 17,000 preachers. Is our faith vain? I'm asking you. You know, we got to watch it in America. A lot of silly stuff is going on over here. Let's be real. A lot of good stuff going on over here too. That's the beautiful part of it. God is at work in this country and we got so much money and we're sending people all over the world like that bunch that, that Billy Joe, the Pastor Billy Joe uh, taken out. That's the most wonderful thing, uh, you know, but a lot, of, a lot of people that's going abroad aren't getting that kind of training. Is our faith vain? Are we false witnesses? Paul said we're false witnesses. Are we? How about Cornelius? 
We preached out there that Jesus has risen from the dead. He got the point. He said, if he's dead, how could he heal me? Look at me. You know me. He must be alive. Is our preaching vain? Are we false witnesses? Paul said, they say we, they'll say we're false witnesses if Christ isn't risen because we've testified that God raised up Christ. Did he raise Christ? Otherwise, how did Cornelius walk? See, how did that man in Concan walk? How did those three wheelchairs, those people healed in Bangkok walk? How did that leper come through after all these years, 50, 50, over 50 years healed of leprosy? How did it happen? No, our, our, we're not false witnesses. Let's witness. With great power gave the apostles and the Christians witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our witness. Is he risen? How do you know? Can you prove it? Is that real? Or are you just preaching a sermon? Don't do it, young people. Go be good stuff. Hallelujah. You're getting your sins if Christ is not risen. Are you? <laughs> How many of you here remember your life of sin and th disgraceful life? that you lived in before you found Jesus. Drunkard or you stole or you did this or that. How many, wave your hand. You say, I was, I was a rascal. And Jesus, can look. are you getting your sins? Are your sins, do they still condemn you? Are you free from them? Yes. Hallelujah, poor devil. <laughs> He's lost you. Glory to God. Are you getting sin? You have peace? Yeah. Those fallen asleep are perished. If Christ is not risen, are they? Is Daisy perished? No, I don't believe so. Matthew 27, 51. Behold, the veil in the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. 52. And the graves were opened. <laughs> Say hallelujah. hallelujah. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after the resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. Are those fallen asleep, perished? No, no, no. My friends, we got the best thing there is in the world. And if I could just get a chance, I'm going to go to Arabia and address the great, the great royal family and say, what, I, what puzzles me is why you believe in Jesus so much. And they're going to deny it and say, we don't. We believe in Muhammad. I say, no, 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 not Muhammad. That don't worry you. Jesus is who worries you. You believe in him because you know if you'd let us in, you wouldn't have any Muslims left. <laughs> they know that. They know that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then I want to stop off in Beijing <laughs> and address the Chinese officials and say, why? Why do you believe so much in Jesus? And they're going to say, no, 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 no. I'm going to say, yes, yes, yes. They're going to say, no, I'm going to say, yes. You know, if you let us preachers come, your people would turn to Christ. You believe in him. <laughs> Young people, we preach the best thing in the world. We've got what the world wants. Don't turn yourself into a religious philosopher. 
Be what God made you to be. That's why I'm coming down here these seven times. Let's be what Jesus was. As he is, so are we in this world. As my Father sent me, so I send you. We are his messengers. We are his associates. We are his cooperators. We are his interpreters. He showed us how. Three years, we, the word was made flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld. We watched him. Good heavens. We watched him. Three years. Pff, what The whole record, what he did, that's what we're to do. He, he'd say to him, follow me. Just watch me. Do like I do. I'll teach you how. He told him, so anything I do, you can do if you believe on me. That was the idea. And here our religion has got that so stuffed up that, that, that you know, they don't believe that. I mean, I mean some religions in America. Thank God you're in a place that preaches this. Do you value that? Coming to a Bible school that, pre- that lets me preach like this? Yeah, this is hot stuff. You bet your life. This is what the devil is worried about. And, 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 and I, I have license to talk to you strong because I put 56, 57 years in it. And in 87 countries, and it's never failed. Ever placed the same. Results the same. So, you know, makes you sound like you're bragging, but you've got to report it. You've got to witness what you've seen. Let the young generation know, and God won't fail you any more than he failed us. But you've got to be convinced of it. You've got to believe in it. And you do. But, but if you have to, do like, do like some preacher, head off to the woods. Find a log. Spend two or three days there. Leave the food home. Till you know this thing's real. You come out of those woods, the devil will, will hunt for the exit. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You believe it? Oh, boy, I've got lots more I'd like to say to you. What makes Christianity credible? Oh, I should, I'm glad. That's why I make notes, so I'll remember some of these things. F.F. Bosworth, you know that name. Great, great saint. What a saint. We, uh, we, uh, We were fortunate enough to get very acquainted with him and preached with him for five weeks three times a day in the Detroit Masonic Temple. And he was, uh, he was so precious. He was old then. Well, not as old as me, but, but, but he, was, he was old. And we had such wonderful rapport together, so beautiful. He was a saint. He was a saint. And he had a hotel room here, and ours was right down here. And he would, he'd be reading his Bible and get a good idea and come running down there to tell Daisy and me about it. He was so excited, he'd pat my hand and say, I'm just tickled pink to see you coming on. You're so young. And said, you know everything I know. Well, we didn't, but he was sweet about it, you know. And he was glad that we were learning. That's the way I feel about you. You look so young and, and beautiful and, 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 and dangerous to the devil. <laughs> and, you know, and we, we old guys, we're going to go. Who, who's going who's gonna to go then and help him? And one day, Brother Bosworth, he he come running down there with a good thought. <laughs> and I met him at the door. And I, I said, Brother Bosworth, you forgot your trousers. <laughs> he, he didn't have his trousers on. <laughs> but he was happy. He had a true, wonderful saint of God. <laughs> you know, some things more important than trousers. Hallelujah. <laughs> but but, but I, I was honored to be able to preach his funeral. 
before he died in Florida, before he died, for three or four days, he was lived in two worlds, in and out of it. And he would talk to the saints, then he would talk to us. And then he would talk to, oh, oh, it's you. Oh, I'm, you, you made it. Yes. Well, it's so good to see you. And then he'd drift back and talk to us. And so, see, our faith's not vain. You believe that? Our faith is not vain. Not at all. What makes Christianity credible? The day of Pentecost. Hallelujah for Pentecost. There can be, remember this truth. You forget everything else I ever teach you. There can never be a Pentecost without a Calvary. Calvary stands for love. Pentecost stands for power. Pentecostal people today want, want power. They've forgotten love. I hope you can add this up. Take it home. Search in it. Pray. Let, let God give revelation to you about that. Pentecostals want power, and they forget love. There can be no power. There can be no Pentecost without Calvary. You think you got that digested? And remember this. Power without love can be cruel. And that's why we've got so many mean preachers in the pulpit and mean Bible teachers just out to whack you on the head if you do anything wrong. You know, power without love. In Pentecost today, we preach faith, demean hope, and ignore love. We've got to change that. They're the same. Faith and hope are the same. Practically the same. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. If Paul would have gone ahead, he'd have said, and faith comes by hearing the word of God. Because faith, I think I remember I told you this, but it's certainly worth repeating. Faith, uh, hope, because hope is the picture. Just write that down. Write that down. Write that down. Hope is the picture. You could put in another nice little word. Hope is the redemptive picture. It's the picture of everything that Jesus died to provide. You see it. If you don't see it, you don't get it. Faith possesses it, but hope sees it, and you see it because of the Word of God. Revelation knowledge lets you see what God has provided at the cross. Faith possesses it, but love is what makes it possible. Hallelujah. What provides it. You understand that? What makes Christianity credible? The day of Pentecost. The resurrection. Hallelujah. Peter at the temple. The cripple healed. Made him credible. <laughs> Paul at Melita. The people healed. Made him credible. <laughs> and all the rest of that I'll quit on. Yeah, so much more. Yeah. God loves you. You're important. Let's stand up a little bit. <clears throat> I'm teaching you with compassion. I'm teaching you with love. I know what it is to be young. I know the wonder of being young, the strength, the vitality of youth. I know it. I thank God for good health. I just marvel that he keeps keeps me up. I'm, I'm, 
I'm so well and so happy, and I want to use everything that I can for His glory. But I love you. You're, you're the new generation coming on, most of you. The world is yours. And my, my, my witness to you is important. It gives you... I don't, know, I don't know what I would have done when I was young if I'd heard someone like this talk. You know, it, it, it must... It don't scare you, does it? Don't it, don't it confirm to you that this book is true? And if God will confirm it for me, won't he confirm it for you? I never did even have a calling. I never did even get a gift. Isn't that a tragedy? So all I have is the giver of gifts. See? It's the truth. It's the truth. So, so if I can do it, if I can go out there, if God will work with me, won't he with you? A lot of you are gifted people. I don't mean that to ridicule, to ridicule in any way, neither me nor you. But, but there are many of you that have anointings and have gifts and have wonderful, wonderful. It's wonderful to be like that. I've had to live without any of that. Just preach the word, act on it, and the results. So that should be an encouragement to you if you don't have the, 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 the fence, the, the, if you aren't endowed with certain gifts or, or things like that, know that, remember that T.L. Osborne said in 87 countries, he never had a gift, but it always worked. God is in his word. It won't fail. You're his treasures. My friends, look at me. He depends on you. If you don't do it, he can't do it. Remember that. If you don't, he can't. You say, you're taught to say, if he don't, he, if I don't, God will raise up someone else. But that's not true. He won't raise up someone else. Your part will never be done. God don't work through second-handed deals. God, uh, Catherine Kuhlman was wrong when she said, a man was called, but I filled in from No, she should never have said that. That was an insult to women. To women. She shouldn't have said that. But anyhow, we all make mistakes, don't we? But listen, you're, you're important. God's depending on you. His work is not going to be done if you don't do it. Listen, I've just come in from a world that don't know anything about what we're studying here. A world. And right next to it is Burma. Mir, I don't know that other name, Miramar or something like that. That's going to open. And, and here's Laos and Cambodia and Vietnam, then China and Bhutan and Nepal. They're all, they're ready to open. Who's going to go? You will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, all we can do is we feel like you felt. The harvest truly is plenteous. The laborers are few. You said pray of the Lord of the harvest. Send forth laborers into his vineyard. I pray for that. Select these. But I don't need to ask you to do that. You've already said we've not chosen you. You have chosen us and ordained us that we should go and bear fruit. And whatever we ask, it'll be done. Thank you for that. Let every one of these who are fortunate enough who walk with you close enough 
to sense this calling, this, this calling, this desire, this yearning, this vision, this revelation for a hurting world. Let every one of them that are here, let them sense that. And may the power that raised up Jesus from the dead pour through them and work through them in the name of Jesus. For we know that when they go in the name, in your name, and in the power of the Holy Ghost, devils will depart before they get there. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. May this become life to them, not just fancy words to make a sermon sound good, but life to them, for the world is waiting on them, and you are depending on us. Thank you. Hallelujah. Say, thank you, Lord. You're depending on me. I am yours. Here am I, Lord. Show me what you want me to do. Give me the inclination. Let me hear the voice that says, this is the way. Or that is the way. I'm ready, Lord. I thank you. Let the word that I'm learning in this place let it grow in me and fulfill your will in me. In the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. I'm alive today. Hallelujah. I'm alive today. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 I'm sorry. I forgot. Read your paper. Turn it over. Let's read it. You ready to go? Get a deep breath. You ready? Okay, Lord Jesus, your resurrection is our Father's guarantee of his promises. Since you have come back from the dead, I can experience your resurrection life in me. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Christianity without your resurrection is a dead religion. Since you showed yourself alive by many proofs, I know that you are not a dead prophet. You are alive in me. You said, because I live, I can live also. Preaching the gospel is not in vain. It changes lives. It changed my life. My faith in God is not vain because you confirm my trust in your word with signs and wonders of your grace. When I say that Jesus rose from the dead, I am not a false witness of God. Your miracles prove your resurrection today. Lord Jesus, Christianity is credible and my witness is believable because you give to give proof that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are not a dead religion. You are my living Savior and healer. Your resurrection guarantees your life in me. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Take it, preacher. Today we're talking, this, in this, this is the sixth, of seven sessions, as you know, and uh, 
built around the, the acronym, the word miracle, and based on the four first verses of the book of Acts, which is where, which contains seven remarkable essentials for the Christian to embrace if we expect to continue what Jesus began. And I think that is the ministry and the purpose of the church. That is the reason for the, in, for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, for the granting of the Holy Spirit to us, that we might then be able to continue what Christ began. That could not happen without the, the, without Calvary, without Jesus having assumed our guilt and the sins of the past. There could have been no Pentecost without Calvary. There could have been no reception of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the Spirit of God in us unless our sins had been remitted. We know that doctrinally. We uh-huh that. But that's really important that it be revelation in us. And uh, it, once we come to understand that, that sin is what has doomed us and separated us from God and kept us separated from him throughout the time of the old the ages of the old testament and even through the years of Jesus ministry we still were separated by our sins so that God could not come and live in us like he originally planned when he breathed into his creation and they became living souls. They became, they became full of God's life. That was his plan. That was his desire to reproduce himself so that he could be in us. And sin broke that connection. And, and the blood of bulls and goats, all that Moses handed us, could not remit our sins. And with sin not remitted, then the Old Testament priests began to take financial advantage of the ritual of the Old Testament and make money off of it and uh, until God became tired of it and purposed that this would never work and therefore decided to give his son Jesus Christ to 
assume our guilt and, uh, and endure the, the judgment and the punishment of our sins so that they could be, they could be fully paid for, remitted, put out of existence, gone. And, and that could only happen because Christ had no sin, so he laid down his life in our name. And we then, with our sins remitted by him, and as Hebrews teaches us, with him having returned to the Father with his own blood, it being put on the altar where it yet speaks on our behalf. That having been done, we have a standing before God and before Satan that's legal. And that's the subject for today, the legality of our faith. <clears throat> the first lesson, miracle, M, Christ our model, how we see God. Second lesson, I, Christ our inspiration, how we see us, me, you. Third lesson, R, our response to his mandate, how we see our world. Fourth lesson, A, action as his delegates, what we do about our world. Fifth lesson, C, credibility of the gospel, how we do something about our world. How? Sixth lesson today, L, the legality of our faith, why we succeed. And the seventh lesson, which will be, is it next Monday? Or, uh, no, I don't. Anyway, it's coming up the next session. <clears throat> e, the experience of his energy in us, our possibilities. But today, the legality of our faith. I'm, uh, I'm particularly moved by this lesson. I think it must be probably the most important of all of them. And I'm particularly moved because I've just come from Thailand preaching to the people of a Buddhist monarchy. And, uh, and believe you me, that's a different experience. I was shocked by it in 1956, but I have to admit I had forgotten how my 1956 shock was validated, was valid. <laughs> It's, it's, it's not easy. And I'm buried right now in writing a book for Thailand that I'm going to call New Miracle Life Now because uh, 
the, 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 the leaders in Thailand explained to me that the Buddhist believes in new life. They believe in a transformation, but it's involved in a reincarnation of life. It can't happen until we come back in our next uh, display of life. And so to have it now, I talked to them about the title before I left, New Miracle Life Now. Oh, they said, that's altogether different. If there could be the hope of having that life now, that would be worth looking into. And so I'm buried in trying to present a book to the unconverted people of Thailand, the Buddhists. Uh, did you ever try to write a book for the Buddhists? Try it sometime. You know, we re I told my daughter, Dr. LaDonna, uh, we were talking about the book that I've authored, How to Be Born Again. I said, you know, going to Thailand has made me realize that I wrote that book for church sinners. Now think about that. See, did you ever write a book to sinners. You know, young people, when you write books, don't write them for preachers. Most all books are written for preachers. Preachers are already smart. They already know what they want to know and have made up their mind about it. So you waste your time to write to them. I learned that way back when I quit writing to preachers. My early books were all written to preachers. I wanted to justify myself and show that I was smart and that my books were right, and so I wrote them to preachers. I don't write that way anymore. And, but this one, but, but born again, I was shocked after I came back from Thailand to see. It's a beautiful book. It's a wonderful book. But I was shocked to see how it presumes knowledge by the unconverted that we're writing it to, supposed to. They're supposed to know all these, these terms that we use. They don't know what we're talking about. I prayed for years that God would help me always to be able to, to share the gospel in vocabulary that the unconverted can understand. Religion is club talk. We don't want that. We want to, we're already saved. We don't need to, to elaborate everything for us. We're saved. We're in. But the unconverted, they don't know what we're talking about. So we need to keep that in mind. Okay? <laughs> I hope that nickel dropped. The big question for today that we're talking about, we're talking about the legality of our faith. The big question is how does Jesus minister today in our community, in our or in our nation? How? And then some little questions 
How can the Holy Spirit, or no, can the Holy Spirit do God's work without us? Now that's a hot one because a, a lot of people have shifted the burden of doing the work of God over onto him because he's so much more powerful and he, he can, he's spirit so he can float around and be anywhere and do all these things and we have to keep up with our television shows and all of our other responsibilities and don't have time to cover the, 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 the spectrum of ministry that he can do so easy so we send him. And that's wonderfully convenient for the Pentecostal world. Can the Holy Spirit do God's work with us, without us, or with us? Another small question. Can we send angels to minister in our place? That's a good one. We figured we got that verse over in Hebrews, and that's really been a wonderful uh, Cop out for Christians. <laughs> Can we send angels to minister in our place? We just send them off to do almost anything that God told us to do so that we don't have to bother. <clears throat> Can we send them? Let's see. Is this too close? Can we, can we send angels to do the work that Jesus commissioned us to do? Now, what are we talking about today? We're talking about the legality of, of our faith, why we succeed. Question, can we send angels to do what Jesus commissioned us to do? Good question. What does Jesus look like in our community? So, Our legality, his presence in us. Verse 3 of the book of Acts. He was seen, Jesus appeared to his followers during 40 days. Isn't this an amazing verse? Verse 3. During 40 days after his resurrection, speaking to them of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you love to have been there during those 40 days and heard his teaching? We only have the one single clue of what he talked about. And he says, he spoke to them concerning the kingdom of God. That really leaves it ambiguous. We can really argue over that. Wide open. The word kingdom is used 342 times in the New Testament in 316 Bible verses. What was Jesus teaching during those 40 days? I believe he was teaching our royal 
status in redemption. I think it's obvious. I won't go into all the, the proofs, but, but you're smart. You're Bible students. It's obvious that the followers of Christ did not understand the mission of Christ to us. They did not understand the fullness of, of, the, crucif of the meaning of the crucifixion of Christ. They did not understand that uh, God was not in them, could not be in them. He could be with them. The Holy Spirit of God. See, Jesus stood in the temple and made that shocking statement. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Wow, did that stir them up. up turn, turn them into rebels, those rabbis, because uh, he was so arrogant, sacrilegious in claiming the anointing of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the Lord God being upon him. It, it, was, a new, it was a new thought. They, they couldn't take that. I, they didn't understand that sin, they were still living in sin. Look, those followers of his, while he was here, were still trotting to the temple with their sacrifice for the priest to offer it, and then they'd go back and listen to Jesus' teaching. Think about that. That's pretty wild, isn't it? We don't talk like that. But, but it's because uh, we haven't understood this legal position, the legality of the Christian faith if it's believed and understood. And so these people, they followed Jesus, they loved him, they believed in him because of the miracles. He was better than any rabbi or priest that they had followed. Uh, they could go to the temple, they didn't see miracles. If uh, the leper or the needy people, they couldn't come in the temple and worship. They were forbidden. And now here's this young, young Jew out here that believes in, in Moses and believes in the law and believes in the prophets and out here teaching, but he's teaching new stuff, different stuff. And they're very interested in it, but they didn't understand the meaning of redemption, yet they used the word, they didn't know what it meant. So we have to be real careful in our understanding of the scriptures or we tangle up the gospels and we try to make them New Testament stuff when they belong to the Old Testament. Very important to understand. Redemption was not accomplished until the end of the gospels. When Christ was crucified, when Christ assumed our judgment and our punishment on our behalf in our name and died, died, 
gave up his life, laid it down, died, and was buried on our behalf. To illustrate, I mean, I mean to confirm what the, what the scriptures had foretold, that he, his soul, was made an offering for our sin, that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace up on him, and with his stripes we are healed. We Pentecostals have turned that into arthritis and rheumatism and paralysis. But it's a, the, the meaning is bigger. Arthritis and rheumatism paralysis is part of the package of the destroyer he gains entrance with these destructive forces through sin. When we sinned, these forces came upon us. And when Jesus died and remitted our sin, he also removed the authority of these diseases upon our physical bodies. See, they didn't understand that. They loved to see him heal people. They didn't know why he healed people. He was illustrating to us what would happen when this new posture was enacted. This new relationship with God when it was enacted. When it, was, uh, when it was put into force. This couldn't happen until after the crucifixion, after the burial, after the resurrection, and after the ascension of Christ to complete the transaction of eliminating our sins. Then, the Father sending back up on us because we were redeemed then, his blood was put in the holy place in heaven, testifying, speaking yet today that we are redeemed. There's his blood. It's there. It speaks for us. You understand? So this, this new relationship could not be enacted until after we were paid for, we were our sins were buried, put away, and we came back to life with Christ with a new kind of life that didn't have sin. It's a new life. It's a miracle life. That's what I'm telling those, those, those Buddhists over there. It's a miracle life that we come back with the same life that God raised Jesus with. He laid down his life, but then God gave him another life and brought him back to live. And we came, we were brought back with him, we who believe. And therefore, being redeemed, being with our sins, being punished. Our judgment having been endured in our name as our substitute, having been transformed by this new life, then, okay, then 
he could send that power that had been in Jesus, that was demonstrated in Jesus. Yet Jesus, Jesus showed us how it works. Then that could come into us. And with it coming, and com, coming into us, we were born again and became new creatures in Christ. Everything previous passed away. Everything becoming new. And that is the kingdom of God. I marvel at how many preachers in America and England are still fighting and fussing about the kingdom of God and hanging all sorts of complicated definitions on it where it makes it look, look like the preacher is the only one that understands it. And that's kind of stupid. The kingdom of God is the king residing in the believer with all that the king is. He has set up his throne in you and in me. And we call that faith. But we get so complicated and carried away and mess it up and scare people. The simplicity of it is what Paul prayed that we wouldn't lose. The king comes to live in us. Ephesians says, we are built together as a habitation of God. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Paul said, the great mystery that's hidden from generations, the mystery that could never be explained by Old Testament prophets, that could never be illustrated by Old Testament sacrifices of animals, the mystery that could never be conveyed by Old Testament scriptures, the mystery that no one understood from generations. Paul said, at last, it's been made known to us. And it's simple, he said, it's simply Christ in you, the hope of glory. How simple. The legality of our faith. But the Pentecostals have so complicated this Holy Ghost teaching and all these things that it's made it seem something beyond our reach. Until today, let me make a statement that'll shock you. I've debated whether or not to say it, or, but I think, I, can, I think you're smart enough, I can say it, and you, it, it'll shock you, but then you'll figure it out later. It, it may give you a guideline, a key, to help you get some things straight. I won't try to uh, elucidate uh, all of the implications of this. Pentecostals today, and not only them, but the charismatics. Can I say, I question that they believe the Word of God. All this talk about the Word, the Word, everybody believes the Word. The word. Yeah, no, I question whether or not they believe the Word. They don't believe the Word, they believe in the anointing. 
Now that'll be a clue for you to weigh. Everybody wants an anointing, but they ignore what's written. I've been so thankful that as a young man, the first great healer, let's call him a healer for reference sake, that came across my path was F.F. Bosworth. And he was, he was a word man. He was a man who believed the scriptures. They tell me that up at Zion City, Illinois, under Dr. Dowie's, under one of Dr. Dowie's co-ministers, that F.F. Bosworth received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I believe that. But he believed in the word. He never depended on an anointing. I never heard him use the term. Now, that's very debatable because we can find all these references in the New Testament. So I don't want to confuse you, but I just want to say, if you're going to believe so much in the anointing, for heaven's sake, believe also in the word that's written. See, at least... Put that together. But being influenced by him, I never in my life was conscious of an anointing. I believe I'm anointed because I believe I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost when I was young and I've walked in that faith all my life. I absolutely believe it and I've proven it. But I never depend on an anointing. I wouldn't know what that is. I guess it feels good if you have it. They tell me it does. Some folks jerk when they get it. Some folks holler and make animal sounds when they get it. You know, they do lots of funny things. So maybe it's a good idea. I don't want it. I'm doing just fine with this. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I believe in the legality of our faith. I believe that we stand on totally legal grounds when we stand before the devil and when we stand before God. That's why I don't have fear thinking of, you know, I'm getting old enough, you think about dying. No problem. Wonderful. Welcome. And I have no intimidation in facing the biggest devil in town. Why should, that's not bragging. I'm legal. I'm legal. I don't mean I've got the twitch or I've got the jerk or I've got the sound so the devil's scared of me. No, no. I'm legal. I know what the book says. The devil knows what the book says. And when he knows that you know what the book says, he will look for the exit. I'm telling you, I've proven it all over my life, all over the world. No devils in India. No devils in Thailand. No devils in Indonesia. No devils in Africa that won't run. They're cowards when you bring this. 
But if you're going to bank on some special feeling when you go before people, you're going to be in trouble all your life. And the security of your legality will not, will not be there. I hope you understand me right. Do you understand? I hope you understand me right. I, I don't have time to go into the, into the verses throughout the New Testament. It, it's, it's very important, though, that we understand that when redemption was accomplished, then the Holy Ghost could come into us and rule and be what he was in Jesus. Hallelujah. And that makes us legal. And the poor devil can't do a thing about it. That is done. Uh, hallelujah. This sixth principle, our legality in God's plan, the legal aspect of redemption, the legal, God's legal reign through us as believers. Now, look, 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 think a little bit. That's why we don't talk about our ministry. It's his ministry. That's why we don't brag and claim some special gifts when we pray for someone and a headache disappears. No. It's his ministry. We can, we can, we can reach a place where we don't want him to get the glory. We want the glory. If the people can touch us, we're the anointed ones. You'll get something wonderful. No, I want to lead people to touch him. He is the anointed one. He's in me. Yes, they touch me, they get blessed. I could tell lots of wild stories. I could tell, I could spend my life telling. Like woman, one of our meetings, she determined to get close enough to me to, uh, we never put barriers before us. Never, never, never. I don't want the people to be kept apart from me. I'm one of them. I always say it when they build a platform, make it where the people can put their elbows on the platform and look at me. I want them close. Now, most folks don't do that. That's all right. They, they, that's, that's their business. But I want the people close. You understand? This woman got, she got close. She was blind. She had fought for, she had tried for two days to get to the meeting, find her way there. Finally, someone helped her, and she asked him to put her by the platform because she had heard me preaching. And she wanted to be able to touch me. And she did. And while I was preaching, here someone grabbed me by the trouser leg and hung on and started yelling, I can see, I can see, I see. But they got healed. Okay, I could tell that and make people really want to touch me. I don't ever tell that because I don't like for people to think that, that this power radiates, you know, that I've got it. And if you get to me, you'll get it. No, I, if we can get the people to tune in to Jesus Christ and understand redemption, 
that when, when he bore our sins and our judgment and took them all away, then the way was open for God's original plan, God to come in to us. When you have him in you, you don't need a touch from somebody. You know? And, and we either believe it or we believe in the touch. Now, I want to help you young people because, listen, the, that world is out there full of people desperately needy of truth. Listen, I've never faced a greater challenge in my life than I'm facing in writing this book for the, for the Buddhists of the Thai monarchy. You'll be, you'll be dying to get a copy of it, but it won't exist. It'll just be in Thai. If you want to learn Thai and go read it, okay. <laughs> I guess you could talk me out of a copy of the script. <laughs> That'd be the only way you could get it. And with, D, with, with, with CDs like they are, I guess that'd be possible, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but it's very important that we, we're growing up. You understand? The church is not infant anymore. We brag on TV all over the world that we're about the, we're about the, the leaders of the world and we, we send our stuff to the whole world. Our, our, our American videos and CDs and DVDs and, ever, and tapes and, and everything that goes with it, our doctrine is dominating the world. We've got to grow up and be for real and not, not export superstition, but export truth. The world is out there hurting. If you could look in the eyes of the, of, of the non-Christian people, they're hurting for truth. And then they get these things from America, and some of them, you know, it's, it, it, we assume that they know what we're talking about. We're talking riddles. And we need to gear up. I'm, gear, I'm trying to re-gear myself and talk the language so that when the translators translate our works, they'll, they'll be able to understand what we're saying. Am I complaining or am I helping you? I'm, 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 I'm appealing that we, that we, that we grow up, that we go with the book and that we tell the world what the book says. Look here, for example. See, that, I, said, I said God's legal reign through us as believers. That's why it's not our ministry. It's his ministry through us. He ministers through us. You pray for someone sick. They feel your hands, but it's his hands that heals them. Don't get all puffed up that you did it. He's the minister. We've got to grow up. We've got to, bring, we've got to influence some bending in our doctrine about that so that, we, so, that, so that we can help people more and not frighten them. You talk to them. Yeah, you give the gospel. You make the statement. Yeah, they hear your voice. But it's his truth that's changing them. It's not you. It's his truth. Yeah. You embrace them. Wonderful. 
They feel your arms, but it's his love that's transforming them. You didn't do it. Let him do it through you. Be willing for him to be the star. Give him the credit. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe you wouldn't like to do that. Maybe, you're, maybe you'd rather get the credit. Okay, that's your right. Let, let, let people know that you, you're, you're the big thing. <laughs> and, and, and shake and quake and jerk and whatever you want to do to convince them that you're it. But I would rather, I would rather let the kingdom of God operate the king in me, through me, to people. Hallelujah. 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 Let's read some of it. You know, I, the Holy Spirit upon them is the Holy Spirit in us. We're in a better setup than they were. Jesus, who began in one person, continues now in all people who believe. He's not limited to one. Christ in Jesus yesterday is Christ in you today. The same Jesus, different body. Same Jesus, same word, same truth. Hallelujah. Let it be and help people. Yeah. Do we believe this or do we need a touch? Romans 5 in the Living Bible. Since we've been made right in God's sight by faith in his promises, we can have real peace with him because of what Jesus has done for us. For because of our faith, he's brought us into this place of highest privilege. <laughs> it's really true. And we can actually become all that God had in mind for us to be. We can become the way Jesus was. That don't mean we get puffed up and get super duper holy. No, 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 no. He was in a human body, a carpenter, working, rubbing shoulders with fishermen, tax collectors, common people. We don't have to get the big head and hang out a shingle that we're a healer now or that we're, we have special gifts. That, that's all good, nice. I love people that do that. I love people that do that. But, but to encourage you, our world is growing up with TV and with, with the email. It's spreading all over the world. The world is growing up. Let's, let's try, let's try to keep, let's try to keep the people with the option of truth in the Word of God. And we can do it. You're going to the world. You're going to be everywhere. And you can influence your world. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 How do you do it? People come to me all the time. I had a preacher the other day. He came to me, and it was nice. God bless him. Uh, they, said, they said, I've got all your books, and I've memorized them said, now, would you, just, would you just speak some anointing into me? Some, so I don't know how to use that vocabulary, but I think something like that he said. Well, 
I thought, good heavens, what's this man wanting? <laughs> you know. Now, 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 what would you do about that? Okay. Uh, well, it went over my head. Because of our faith, he has brought us into this place of highest privilege. We can actually become all that God had in mind for us to be. Back when he created Adam and Eve, breathed into them, said, I want to be part of you. I want you to be like me, have all the power that I've got. You're my offspring. You're in the family. At last, Paul says, now we can be what God wants us to be. Why? Because our sins have been remitted because they were judged and the payment was paid in the crucifixion of Christ and our sins were set aside. So now he can come in us and be all that he dreamed of when he created Adam and Eve. Hallelujah. And that's a wonderful truth. Give God thanks for never quitting on us. Never quitting on us. He never quit on us. Hallelujah. He could have abandoned us, but he didn't. So, verse 9 in Romans 5. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. How much more will he do for us now that he's declared us not guilty? He lives in us. We've got the whole kingdom belongs to us. It's all working in us. Give vent to it. Release it. Let the kingdom flow. Hallelujah. What was that song you were just singing? Let the river flow. Yeah, let the kingdom flow. Yeah. Hallelujah. You believe that? The kingdom of God. Wow. Wow. Verse 23. This is the wonderful news that came to each of you and is now spreading all over the world. And I, Paul, or I say, and we have the joy of telling it to others. But let's tell it. Let's tell it. <laughs> let's tell it. Like it's written, is it not clear enough? Should he be crucified again? Should he send the Holy Ghost in a new endowment? Was Pentecost not good enough? Is the Bible not clear enough? Did the crucifixion not pay enough? What do we want? What are we going to tell our world? Let's, 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 I wrote a book, God's Best. Let's give them God's best. His written word, the seed of the word can never change. You believe that? Everywhere we go, verse 28, we talk about Christ to all who will listen. This is our work, and we can only do it. Listen to Paul's revelation. We can only do it because Jesus Christ's mighty energy is at work within us. Because the same energy that was in him is in us. That's why we could do it. But it couldn't be in us if our sins were there. But they were remitted. I believe in redemption. Do you believe your sins are put away? I'm aware that people make mistakes and commit sins, but we have an advocate. Now, if we keep doing the same thing, we're kind of stupid. You know, there's some verses in the Bible that talk about that. 
There's no more sacrifice for you. And you've created your own hell in a way. I mean, you messed up your own life. For me, I believe what he says. I believe my sins are put away. If I err, I ask forgiveness. I don't do that again. Every error that we make is a learning experience, isn't it? Like problems. They're learning. They're our greatest teachers. I don't mean go out and error so you can be taught. But I mean, when you do flub up, it's your great teacher in a sense and you can train the devil to leave you alone because every time he tempts you and causes you to err, you grow by it. And you bypass Mr. Satan and you grow beyond him. Does that make sense? Am I talking riddles? It's true. It's true. I believe in redemption. Believe in redemption. Believe in the book of Romans. Believe in what Christ has accomplished for you. He taught us the legal base. Let's talk about this kingdom life. During 40 days, he talked to us about it. He taught us the legal basis of redemption. I am sure that during those 40 days, what he talked to these people about was what had he had accomplished on the cross for them. He explained it to them. Using the Old Testament, the abundant Old Testament scriptures to unlock it for them. The truth that Paul was blind to, Saul was blind to. But one day when the revelation came, the Buddhists call it enlightenment. And a light shine for sure. They have light, we have light, you know. Their light's about Buddha, ours about Jesus. And, and the light shined on Paul. And Paul then went off to Arabia to ponder. His brain was like a computer, all of the scriptures, because I think I said this the other day, because all, uh, a rabbi is incumbent upon him that he knows all the Old Testament scriptures. And went off into Arabia to, to roll through those uh, those great volumes of scriptures and behold the Christ that he had missed. And he understood redemption, what Christ had accomplished. We need that revelation. Paul was religious. Paul quoted the scriptures, but it wasn't a revelation. Many people today know the scriptures, can quote them to you, but then they'll turn right around and contradict it by the way they act or the way they talk. We're redeemed. We're legal. Poor devil, we're legal. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm sure that's what Jesus taught during those 40 days. Taught them the meaning. The, The amazing thing is that even after he taught them that, they didn't catch on to it. Isn't that phenomenal? Don't blame yourself if you're slow to catch on something. Just don't get mad in the process. See. He must have taught them that. How God can live in us. 
how Christ could then come and that power that was on him could come and reign in them. We're legal because we're redeemed, because we're reconciled to God, because he now lives in us, because we are now his headquarters. We're legal. That's the kingdom of God. That can only exist because of redemption. What does redemption mean? What does it mean to redeem? You've got dictionaries. I just looked at a dictionary. To ransom. To I believe this is me. Ransom. Liberate. Rescue from captivity or bondage or from any liability or obligation to suffer by paying a ransom. I believe that about me. I didn't do it. God, Jesus did it for me. Willingly. Because he loved me. Wow, that makes me walk tall when I think of the intense love that God had for me to pay that price for me. That is reality to me. That is excitement to me. I love to preach about that. That's not ho-hum to me. And I don't hardly hear that preached on TV. Let's, nor in pulpits that I visit. Let's preach it. Let it be the joy that we have that keeps us young and vigorous because it's such a revelation, such a glorious position to be in. It means to rescue, to deliver, to reclaim by moving all obligation, by paying the total ransom price. What was the ransom price demanded? Death. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinner shall die. The thief comes to kill, steal, and to kill, steal, and destroy. Death is the penalty of sin. Is death is the ransom Satan demanded of us. And God said, I can't pay it. I love them. I don't want them to die. I want them to live. I'll give my son as their substitute. He has no sin. He owes nothing to you, but he will give his life to you and pay the ransom. But when he pays it, one thing for sure, Slewfoot, keep your hand off of those who hear about it and believe it. Don't touch them. They're redeemed. There's no more legal, no, no more legal requirements that you can make on them. Leave them alone. When they come to you in my name, they're free. They can stand before you. You can't touch them. That's redemption. That's, that's the kingdom of God established in us. It means to deliver from the bondage of sin and the penalties of God's violated laws or from the consequences of sin through the reconciliation with God affected by the atonement of Christ. Now that's a mouthful, isn't it? But that's good stuff. That's right. Right on. Did you hear it? I don't think I better try to read that again. I might never make it through and you'd get tired. A payment that releases one from captivity or punishment or any kind of penalty. I don't owe nothing to Slewfoot. 
He can gather his hordes around me. I can stand redeemed. I'm enlightened, as the Buddhist would say. I'm free. The light has shined in me. And God has revealed the power working in me to be the same that he used, that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I'm legal, poor devil. I'm legal. My friends, my young friends, I hope some of these words will echo back to you in your sleep, in dreams, in your frightening times. When you go abroad, you come into areas that are non-Christian. I hope some of these words will echo back to you and you'll stand tall and believe in the Christ you've come to represent. Believe in what he's accomplished for you and stand before every devil in that territory until they find the exit and leave. Hallelujah. I'm just as sure as I can be when I get to town, the devil gets worried. Right. And I don't blame him. I don't, he's, got, he's got some sense. Not good sense, but some sense. Hallelujah. The old English law. Old English law. That, what, what is redeemed? That which is paid for the pardon of an offense in lieu of punishment. Hallelujah. Jesus paid for the pardon of our offense in place of us having to be punished for our sin. We're redeemed. We're redeemed. Redeemed. To release from captivity, slavery, servitude, punishment, by paying a price. To regain possession by a legal payment of ransom. <laughs> Poor devil. He's in trouble. God has regained the possession of me. I was out there subject to the enemy. He's the boss out there in the unconverted world. He's nothing in the church. He's nothing among the converted. But out there, he's the boss. I was victim. But I heard of Jesus and fell before him and accepted him. And the devil hasn't been able to control me since. Hallelujah. You believe it? This is real to me. We're redeemed. Therefore, our standing before God and before Satan is legal. Say, I'm legal. The Bible says we're justified through redemption. Justified. That's a big word. But we in America know what it means because we've heard the cute little application just as if I'd never done it, you know. Justified. But that's what it means. Beautiful definition. You can't do that in any other language. Just as if I'd never sinned. I'm justified. Redemption makes me. Redemption. Redemption. He deemed us before, but he redeems us at the cross. He deemed that we were wonderful when he breathed into us and we became a living soul in the Garden of Eden. But then after our, our ugly past, then he redeemed us at the cross. 
and his new. He now deems us beautiful, worthy, just like him, set free, hallelujah, justified. You believe you're redeemed? Say, that's me. Say, poor devil. He's lost me. I'm legal. Wow. Hallelujah. Yeah. Glory to God. 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 Romans 3:24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Pretty plain, isn't it? If that don't excite you, if you can't get a sermon looking at that, you're in trouble. Start over. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar, special people, zealous of good works. That's me. Hallelujah. Say, that's me. <laughs> Say, devil, I'm coming. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, I say, I say these things reverently. This is what keeps the spring in this old guy's step. I'm redeemed. And Paul said, we talk about this to everyone that'll listen. We can only do it because of the energy of Jesus Christ in us. Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption. Through his blood, even the remission of sins. Translators made a mistake there. They said forgiveness of sins, but it is not forgiveness, it's remission. Big difference. Forgiveness is the Old Testament word. Remission is a New Testament word. Remission, you can't find in the Old Testament. Remission, when it removes them. Forgiveness, then you do it again. I wonder sometimes a lot of people don't get forgiveness, <laughs> you know. And then they go do it again and again and again. I'm redeemed. Hallelujah. Remitted. It's remitted. I'm clean. It's gone. Hallelujah. If I make a mistake, quickly, I talk to my advocate. Say, don't charge that again. He says, wiped out, wiped out, wiped out. The blood speaks for you. You're okay. Keep going. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hebrews 9, 12. Neither by the blood of bulls and goats, uh, the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. We're redeemed now. We're redeemed when we get in trouble. I mean, when, you know, when, when sickness comes, we're redeemed. When we're laying on our deathbed, just before we close our eyes for the last time, breathe our last breath, we're redeemed. I always love what Brother Bosworth always said. He said, Brother Osborne, I'm, 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 I'm saved. I'm being saved right now. And tonight when I go to bed, I'll still be being saved. And tomorrow morning, I'll still be being saved until the day that I die. And I'll get more salvation than I ever got before in my life. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, I believe that. That's exciting. Let's not make salvation, redemption, ho-hum stuff, and go try to find some new idea to preach a sermon on. This is what changes the world. 
They're not interested in your new ideas, trying to get ahead of somebody else that was the last speaker over here in America or where we know everything. No, 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 forget that. Preach the gospel. God will confirm you. You'll see results. And even the Americans will come running to it because they don't hear it. Good counsel. Yeah, think about it. First Peter 1.18, you know that you were redeemed, not with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. Revelations 5.9, they sung a new song. I'll help them sing that song someday. <laughs> Won't you? Yeah. Boy, oh boy. Thou art worthy, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and, and people and nation. You believe it? Because we are redeemed, God can come and live in us. Our standing is before Satan and before God is legal. The first report that was ever given of Jesus' life and ministry is in Mark 1, 14, 15. I think it might be the most profound scriptures that we have for, for understanding the overall ministry of uh, New Testament ministry. After John was put in prison, here, here, here's the part. Jesus came into Galilee. He'd been in the desert. He's coming, starting his ministry. Jesus, remember this. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Think of it. He came, why did it say that? He came to preach and teach and show what God is like in a human person, in human flesh. To him, that was the king coming to reign in people like he does in Jesus. But he knew that couldn't happen yet because redemption had not been accomplished. But he came preaching that. That was his purpose. That's why I say when he came back from the dead... He spent 40 days with them teaching them concerning the kingdom of God. Same thing. Wanting to show the people. Now, now he comes back. He's wanting to show them. Now the price has been paid. Now understand. That's why this Holy Ghost has come to you to fill you so you'll be just like me. I've stayed 40 days to teach you that. Didn't you catch on? No, we'll look at that in just a jiffy. They didn't. Preaching the gospel. Am I going too fast? Is that okay? You with me? You with me? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. How did he express it? We have just a little insight, but it's very fundamental. He says, and saying, this was his sermon. This is how he preached. This is the essence of his message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now look what he's saying there. The time is fulfilled. It's just, it's just three years before he's to be crucified. 
The time is drawing close. The kingdom of God is at hand. See, not here yet. It's at hand. This is going to be the result of my crucifixion and resurrection when I come back from the dead, and I'll tell you about it. But he came preaching the kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled. It's time for all this that the prophets have talked about. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is at hand. So you got a big challenge, folks, he says. Repent. And believe the gospel. I think it's the most powerful two verses in the New Testament. So repent and believe the gospel. Why did you say repent? Repent, change your mind. Look, these people were all running to the temple with their calves and bulls and goats and doves, sacrificing them all the time. Jesus is striking at the heart of the Old Testament Mosaic law and the prophets, everything that was religious. I don't want to talk over your heads. Listen to me. Get this picture, and you'll un you won't be troubled and confused by Old Testament scriptures anymore. You'll see a difference at the cross. It's different this side of the cross. After the cross, it's new. It's a new generation. It's redeemed. It's the kingdom of God coming. It's God coming in people over here. No, nobody, nobody. They could talk about him and be with him. Get this. Are you hearing me? Yeah. This is so important. <clears throat> He's trying to get them to understand that. Repent. Repent. You're going to have to repent. Now, we think of repenting as rolling and crying and bawling on the floor and sobbing for our sins. No, that's not repentance. That's sometimes, that, that don't get you anywhere. That's why a lot of people do that. Just come back next week and do it again, you know, because it don't get you anywhere. No, no. But change your mind. Change. On the basis of what? On the basis of truth. On the basis of what is written. Change your mind. Decide that you're going to accept what is written, and you're going to live your life on. That's what began our ministry. After seeing that man with all those miracles, then we went home with our Bibles, and we sat there and we read the New Testament as though, uh, the, the Gospels, as though we had never heard that they existed. And we made this vow. We said everything that Jesus said that he will do, we'll expect him to do it. Everything that he says for us to do, we will do it. And that's what began our ministry. And we went into action, called the people. Uh, sick folks didn't come to church back in those days. They went to the hospital. But we called them to the church, which was phenomenal. And they packed the old tabernacle. I don't mean everybody. A lot, a lot of sick people came. But I mean in general. That was a new thing. And, and, uh, and they came, and we lined them up. We preached to them. People got saved. We lined them up. They got healed. It seemed like everybody that we touched got healed. Now, God was good to us. It won't always be that way. But, but the point is, we repented. We said that old way won't work. We always prayed for the sick. Every Friday night, 
in any meeting we ever had anywhere, we prayed for the sick. Now, don't ask me why we didn't do it on Thursday night. We prayed for the sick on Friday night. That was the night you prayed for the sick. I don't remember anything ever happening. Few people fell to accommodate us, but uh, but but uh, didn't. I don't remember anything. You know, you know that that wasn't of interest. You know, but but see, we saw that and we repented. We said, and I'll never forget when I was sitting up there in the balcony, the third balcony, and that man ministering to those people and being healed. That 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 first one was deaf and dumb. And I, I was a praying Pentecostal, a, 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 a noise-making Pentecostal. And I really, uh, uh, when I saw that, when I heard him announce this girl's born deaf and dumb, I, I was really, I was ready to do battle with him. I, I mean, with him, on his side. You know, this, this is a big devil we had to deal with. And uh, I was really wrought up about it. You know, we, we felt like we were sinners if we didn't pray three hours a day. I had calluses on my knees when I got, when I got married. Dear Brother Dillard, God bless Brother Dillard, when he took me from the farm, he made me pray three hours every day, but he wouldn't let me have any dates with any girls. And I look back and thank God during those years, 16, 17, 18, he didn't let me date girls, but he had me praying three hours every day. Thank God for a man that would do that to me. Uh, sometimes I got mad at him for that, but I didn't say so. <laughs> I didn't say so. <laughs> I was good. But, but, but when, so, so, then, so then we, we, in our meetings, we prayed for the sick. But uh, I don't remember what happened to him, if anything happened. But we prayed for him. You've got to pray for him. If you're a Pentecostal, you've got to pray for him. And, but uh, when I sat up there on that balcony and saw that man, and he took that little girl and he pulled her to his side, real gentle-like. Uh, I guess I'll just save this and tell you. I'll tell you this in the next session. It's quite a story. It's quite a story. But, but, but the, the, my point is, and, and I'll remember it. I'll, I'll tell it. Uh, my point is repent and believe the gospel. That's all Jesus said. That, that covers it all. Repent of your old way of doing things and believe the good news that everything's already done for you. You don't have to work at it anymore. You don't need any more ceremonies, no more rituals, no more dogmas. Just repent. Leave all that with Moses. And you believe the gospel. The good news, Bosworth used to say so sweet, he'd say, what good news? I'm quoting him now. What good news? Good news to the sinner. What good news? Good news that Jesus bore your sin. Why? So that you don't have to bear your sin. So what? So you're saved. Good news to the sick. What good news? Good news that Jesus bore your sickness. Why? So that you don't have to bear it. So what? You're healed by his stripes. Good news to the guilty. What good news? Good, see, 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 and, and he'd go down that line. I thank God that I heard that when I was young. It made sense. Repent. The old way don't work. Forget it. Leave it the other side of the cross. 
Believe the gospel. Believe the good news. Oh, if we could get the world to understand that salvation is not our idea. It's God's idea. We didn't love him. He loved us. We didn't come to him. He came to us. We didn't cry out for salvation. He cried to us and said, I've come to save you. Repent. The old ways are clumsy. They don't work. Believe the gospel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You believe that? You believe that? Hallelujah. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. See, that's what he came doing. And when he came back from the dead, still on the same subject, teaching them concerning the kingdom of God. The last words that's ever written of, of Paul the apostle is in jail at Rome, waiting to be executed, and they let people come and see him, and he talked to them day and night concerning the kingdom of God. Paul caught on to what it was all about. That's why he wrote those letters about the power of the, the, the new birth of Christ coming into us and live in us. It was something that the religious people could not understand. They still have trouble understanding it. They want to tack on to it some creeds, some dogmas, some rituals, some ceremonies, some formalities, and then we get it. No, it's free. It's good news. You don't have to do it. Leave that with Moses. We're talking about how does Jesus function today in your world, in your neighborhood? The answer, since we are redeemed, he functions through us. Simple. The most powerful lesson of all of these lessons is this one today. Hallelujah. You believe it? Yes. You and I are on legal grounds. Yes. That's the secret of our victories. We're talking today on this sixth lesson. Why do we succeed? That's why. We're legal. We're created by God as friends and partners. I like that. <laughs> we talk about Abraham, the friend of God. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Say me too. We're loved by God. We're redeemed by God. We're justified by God. We have peace with God. We didn't do it. We didn't want it. He wanted it because he wanted our partnership. He loves us. He's delighted with us. God is tickled pink about us, loving us, believing in us, working with us, confirming us, wherever we teach, wherever we go, if we preach the good news. The kingdom of God, the, good, the, the new birth makes possible. The king. Every time, every time any person is born again, is, is, is reconciled to God in your meeting under your ministry, the kingdom of God comes in another person. Isn't that true? The king comes to reign in them. Teach them that. They'll enjoy it. They'll feel like you're the greatest teacher ever hit town. They'll want you to come back for bigger meetings. You teach some of this stuff, they'll say, where do you get that? That didn't go over. Romans 8, 1 to 3. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. See, there where Paul filled in, kind of like I did a while ago, if you make a mess of things, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Is that right? 
Sure. So every, 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 every problem becomes a learning process and you grow. And the devil learns better to leave you alone. The law of the spirit of Christ, the spirit of life in Christ. You get that? The law of the spirit of life in Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. I live that way. We're called. <laughs> he knew us in advance. He justified us. He glorified us. Romans 8. Them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose. 29. Verse 29. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. <laughs> to what for? That's, that's, see, Paul had it. He had it. He predestinated us. What for? What for? To be conformed, to be transformed, to be conformed. How? To the image of his son. See, we're to imitate him. We're to mimic him. We're to do like he did. When I sat in that third balcony, I keep wanting to come back to that. Voices whirled over my head and said, when that girl was healed, I'll tell you about that in the next session. But, but uh, I have to, I'm dancing around it. But those voices said, you can do that. You can do that. Voices, oh, wow. I went wild. I didn't, I didn't holler or nothing. I just, hmm. I wept. I wept. You can do that. You can do that. That proves the Bible way is for today. Jesus did it that way. Peter did it that way. Paul did it that way. You can do that. You can yeah. do that. I'm telling you, folks. And I went and did that. Yeah. I repented. I repented. I discovered the king lived in me. Yeah. Hallelujah. And I discovered that all I needed to do was go and speak his word and let him carry out his power through me. And he would do it. He wanted to identify with me because, because I'm redeemed. He paid for it. He ransomed me. He loves me. He believes in me. He brought me back from the gutter. He says, stand tall. I'm in you. Don't forget it. We're together. Hallelujah. Does that turn you on? Yeah. Wow. Wow. You know, that's why, you know, that's why I, I don't come over here in America and teach much because it, it, it's too, it, 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 can, it can imply conflict between what's more popular. And I don't want to cause conflict. I don't want anybody to feel I'm strutting around trying to act like I know more than anybody else. No, no, no. But what I know is ancient. It's truth. It's proven. And so when I get caught in a place like this where it's a bunch of Bible students, I think I ought to open up a little bit more, you know. And that's why I've done it. And, and, and thank you. And, and, the, and, and I want to tell you, the other reason I've done it, I know your pastor. I know your pastor. I know him. I know what he believes. And I know where he stands. And we're together. And I wouldn't do this if, if I thought he didn't believe what I'm sharing with you. Because that wouldn't be courteous. I, I don't believe in going to another person's pulpit and deliberately setting up conflict. And you remember that as preachers. If, you know, don't go out and cause a fuss. 
be a gentleman, be a gentle lady, and 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 and, and help people. You can you can dance around a little bit and get get your truth through. Uh, okay, I've made my point. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be. Oh my, this turns me on. To be conformed to the image of his son. Hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah. And whom he called. Then he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. The Buddhists talk about enlightenment. I talk about glory. <laughs> you talk about anointing. I guess that's what it is. Maybe it's anointing. Maybe it's glory. Maybe it's enlightenment. I don't know what it is, but it's good stuff that shines the light of God's presence on us and through us to a hurting world that's lost in darkness. Hallelujah. Brother McIntosh, you can straighten all this up after I'm gone. <laughs> no, you won't straighten it up. That's good stuff, and you believe that. If I didn't, if I, if I didn't know you believed that, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> you know that now. I've already said that. Listen, look, look. He did all that for us. He did all that for us. Say, he did all that for me. Yeah. Called me. Called me. Justified me. Glorified me. So, the next sentence, what shall we say then about it? <laughs> you know, it just, Paul is so overpowered by these truths. He said, what are we going to say about all this? Well, he said, to make it short, we're going to say, if God is for us, in, to that degree, who can be against us? What devil can stand before us? Believe it. Believe it. Believe it. You know, I, I, I'm aware that a lot of people think, well, Brother Osborne, you preach all those big crowds and all those big people. I don't have a big crowd, and so I don't have the opportunity you have. Listen, whether it's one or a hundred thousand, treat them the same. Teach the truth. It'll work. And when you minister to them, remember in a hundred thousand people, how many people are there that don't appear to be healed? I face that too. And I see those people still in wheelchairs, still on crutches. And, and, and my heart agonizes because I crossed the ocean maybe to come and help them. And I believe all this. Then things happen in a long life that reconfirm you. See, I have, I have the same problems you have. Yes, many wonderful things happen. Now, like I said the other day, we counted, I think it was five wheelchairs at once in the air in, in Bogota, three in Bangkok at one time. In there. But there were others that didn't raise their wheelchairs. What do I do about that? Well, what are you going to do when you pray for someone and they're not manifestly healed? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to quit? Am I going to come home? No. You're going to believe. And I always teach these people, if your healing is not manifested right now, believe in the truth of what God's promise is. The seed is in you, and the seed will grow. And I'll usually tell them a story or two about a farmer planting seed. Does it grow? Do you have to pray to make it grow? No, it grows. And, the har and I tell them the, the seed, and I tell them, Jesus said this is the seed of God's Word. And I explain that to them and say, believe 
that this is in you now and it will grow. Uh, tomorrow you'll be better. Next day you'll be better. Maybe if some of you, it might take a week or two or three or a month before you get well. But believe that Jesus came to you tonight. Now, see, I, I, I teach that to people. Now, people might say, that's a cop-out. You're trying to cover up for folks who don't get healed. No, you're trying to encourage everybody. Jesus healed them all. The, the gospel of healing is for all. Am I making sense? Yeah. And I hope that helps you. And so I started to say, once in a while, when you live a long time, you're young and it hasn't happened yet. When you live as long as I have, 80 years old, see, uh, here, here I go back to Thailand. And what, what happens? On the front row of the platform in the opening night when I've got a bunch of preachers there that never preached a sermon on healing in their life, one or two of them well, had some Pentecostals, one or two Pentecostals, but there were Baptists and Methodists. I told you this the other day. And Church of Christ and all those beautiful people that were risking backing this crusade because one Pentecostal, that man who was the Pentecostal, had great integrity. And they believed in him. And so there we were and me stepping up there to preach and teach. And on the front row of that platform sat an 84-year-old man who had come to our meeting in 1956, a hopeless leper, his hands all drawn up, crippled. I told you this, but bears repeating, all because I have a different purpose in telling it this time, drawn up, his face all disfigured, part of his nose gone, part of his ears gone, really homely man, a ghastly looking man, his eyes, part of the flesh gone, but he, you know, but there he was smiling, so precious. And, and in 1956, he was healed. I didn't know he was healed. I just preached. And I just believed. And they tell me that I had laid hands on him. I don't remember that. Because uh, I remember in some of those meetings in Thailand, there was a few of them that were small meetings, not many people. And so I felt, well, I can lay hands on them and pray for them. And so I did that. And so he was one of them. I didn't remember anything special. But I know what I must have done. I must have been very sincere and prayed with, with compassion for his healing and must have encouraged him to believe now that the leprosy is cursed. You know, uh, I'll come back to that. Uh, in, in, in one meeting in Latin America, 11 lepers were brought to the platform. I heard they'd sneaked out from the leprosarium and came uh, in secret. And someone found out about it and told me, I said, bring them to the platform. I thought they should be honored and brought them to the platform and I'll never forget that. The Holy Ghost, you know, was hot in me. You call that anointing? I don't know. Maybe, maybe that was anointing. Maybe I was anointed. I don't know. I never thought about anointing. I thought about this. He said, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. And Daisy and I went down the row and took each one of them, not by their clothes, but by their hands, by their flesh. And I remember the prayer that come out of me. So from my insides, be clean, flesh. Be clean in Jesus' name. And I went down to everyone. And then the police took them back to the leprosy. I never knew what happened after that. I'm just like you. I believe this. Act on it. Whether you've got one or 10,000. 
Be faithful to the Word of God. Don't be faithful to the camera. Wants to demonstrate something big so you can go home and hang your shingle higher and say, look at me, I've had a great meeting. No, no, that's silly. Grow up. Let Christ grow up in you. It wasn't but a few weeks till the pastor of that city wrote and told us one of them had been released. And a few more weeks, another one. Within a year, all 11 of those lepers were released here. Now think about that. Now that's the truth. That's the truth. I, wrote you that I, I, I read you that letter from that Pentecostal wholeness missionary in Hong Kong. Six lepers here. Lepers? What's the difference? A leper, cancer, arthritis, anything. It's disease. We're talking about why do we succeed? The kingdom of God is in us. The king ministers through us. His kingdom is expressed through us. We're on legal grounds. You believe that? Who shall lay anything? Who shall, who, what shall we say to these things? God before us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. Kingdom facts. <laughs> We're on legal ground. Hallelujah. In the kingdom of God, his presence is in us. We are legal. The Bible, the Bible said, Paul got carried away in Romans, the 14th chapter and the 17th verse. But before I read that, I got, I got to comment on this Luke 17, 21, because that sounds, some of you are smart, and you might look at this and think, wait, I've caught Osborne. He's, he's. It says, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, that couldn't be true without redemption the translators had to make an error there because the king could not come in to people before their sins were remitted. I think what was said, the kingdom of God will be within you. Now, okay, you can judge me for that. You can write me off. But uh, you better do some thinking. Some folks think if they think, they're carnal. I'm not. My mind's not carnal. My mind is conformed to the truth of the Word of God. I don't think carnal. But see, that, that would set up a contradiction. Say the kingdom is within you. For Jesus to say that before he was crucified and paid for their sins. You have to understand that. And I'm sure that the translation, oh, so many, like that remission, that forgiveness word. That's not the word at all. It's forgiveness. I don't want to cast doubt on the translators because we know they've done a wonderful job. But we have to think, understand the overall picture of redemption and understand the difference before the cross and after the cross. And then we won't have confusion. Like Daniel praying three weeks to get his prayer answered. Then we come over and preach that day. Hang in there. Maybe three weeks for God. Don't insult my advocate, the Father, at the right hand of the Father that hears me and makes intercession. Don't tell me it's going to take three weeks to get to his attention. No, no, no. That Old Testament stuff. When you understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll have to think. 
And don't let these things be confusing to you, but see them in the light of redemption and you'll understand and, and, you, and you'll know you're legal. You, you won't be scared. You won't be spooky. You won't be doubtful. You won't be hesitant. See what I'm saying? Say, I like it. But the one I was going to read you, Paul said, Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now think about that. Righteousness. Why did he put that first? Isn't that what has to come first? You can't have the king without righteousness. It's imputed to you because he died on the cross. His, your sins were imputed to his account. His righteousness was imputed to your account. And now the kingdom of God is righteousness. So what? Peace. You can't have peace. You can't have peace without righteousness. If you don't know your sins are remitted, you'll never calm down and have assurance and peace. But, but peace, hallelujah, I have righteousness, so I have peace. Well, of course I'm happy and joy. And joy, see, Paul knew what he was talking about. The kingdom facts, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say, I love it. God created this world. God owns this world. God has a right to rule this world. God wills to rule this world through people like you and me. That is his kingdom on earth. Hallelujah. Is that right? Christ in us. 1 Corinthians 13, Living Bible. He has rescued us out of the darkness and gloom of Satan's kingdom. You bet. And brought us into there's a difference before the cross and after. Into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, verse 21, he has brought you back as his friends. Verse 22, now as a result, Christ has brought, say I'm listening. Listen. Say it's not ho-hum. It's, it's reality. Now as a result, Christ has brought you into the very presence of God and you are standing there before him with nothing left against you. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to cry when I think about that. We are redeemed. We are legal. The kingdom is in That's why we succeed. He's in us. Romans 5, 2. Because of our faith, he has brought us into this place of highest privilege where we stand. Verse 9, now he has declared us not guilty. Romans 5, 11, now we rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done in dying for our sins, making us the friends of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, Living Bible, we are God's co-workers. You bet. We walk arm in arm with him. Hallelujah. It's beautiful. Kingdom, uh, that's kingdom fact. Kingdom dynamics. <clears throat> the gospel is a legal document for all the world, for every creature, for all nations till the end of the world. Say, I believe it. I believe it. So, so what? So, take that legality and go with it. Take that name and use it. Take that power and heal and bless people. Take that anointing and deliver people. Take that message and announce it. Take that authority and liberate folks. You can do it. Glory to God. 
just like the voice has said to me in that meeting, you can do that, you can do that. That proves the Bible, so you can do that. Peter did that, John did that, Paul did that, you can do that. That's the way Jesus did it. That's what he came for, to show us. They came preaching the kingdom of God, saying, repent, change your old way, don't work, get it out of your brain. And believe the gospel. Believe the good news. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Paul said, that's it. That's the mystery hidden from generations past and is now made manifest to the saints of God. Christ in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I'd like to tell you about my government in Yeti among the Kikuyus and about the blind man in Buffalo, about Daisy and the Haji in Java. <laughs> we're, le I haven't got to, we're legal. We are kingdom people. We are royalty. We are connected. Our kinship with him makes us legal. Our membership in his family is real. Hallelujah. Say, I like it. First Peter, you're a chosen generation. Say, that's me. A royal priesthood. Say, I'm royal. A holy nation. Say, I'm holy. A peculiar people. Say, I'm peculiar. And I have to stop there and tell you that don't mean funny. That means exclusive. It's a French word. And Americans use it wrong. Peculiar. He's a peculiar fellow. Funny. No, no, don't mean that at all. But in America it does. It's our connotation. But the real mean, and that's why it's used here, peculiar people don't mean a funny people that act stupid. <laughs> it means a, a choice people. A people chosen exclusively, uniquely for him. Hallelujah. C'est un peuple peculier. C'est merveilleux de connaître la relation entre nous et Dieu. Parce qu'il nous a choisis, nous a justifiés, nous a rachetés par le sang de Jésus-Christ. Et nous sommes en lui maintenant. Et lui, il est en nous. Et le pauvre diable ne peut rien faire pour pour, pour nous interdire. Gloire à Dieu. Alléluia. Vous qui parlez français, dites Amen. Personne? Personne? Personne, oui. OK. The chosen people. We are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit, founded on the rock, Christ Jesus, 1 Corinthians 3.11, for other foundation can no one lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Only on the rock of redemption can we experience legality, the legality of the kingdom of God in us. And I'd like to talk about kingdom virtue, but let's go to our piece of paper and read and torment the devil. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Poor devil, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the honor of addressing these beautiful, these beautiful Bible students growing with God. You've blessed them. You've chosen them. You've brought them here to this place. You've put them under good leadership. You've honored me to be able to come and share this truth that's so real. Thank you for it. Hallelujah. You ready? Got your paper? Okay, let's go on the first word. Okay, Lord Jesus, you want to continue your ministry and to do your work through me. Now that I have received you, 
God's plan is to be expressed through me. I do not pray and send angels to do what you have sent me to do. I am a member of God's royal family. I am a legal part of the kingdom of God. You are my king, and you have set up your headquarters at my house. You live in me. Since you have redeemed me from my sins, now you are alive in me. Your Holy Spirit can function through me. That is your kingdom in me. My position with you and before Satan is legal. Jesus, you now reign in my life. When Satan approaches me, he confronts you. I have legality. The king rules through me. Your presence is in me. Hallelujah. My sins are remitted forever. I am born from above. I am called. I am justified. I am redeemed. I am glorified. I am legal. I am royal. I have peace with God. Jesus, you are my king. You are alive in me. I am triumphant in you. Amen. Hallelujah. Put up your hands and thank God. Glory to 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 God. Hallelujah. Poor devil. Poor devil. Hallelujah. 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 We can change our world. We can bring truth to our world. Let's do it. Hallelujah. Put up your hand. Say, thank you, Jesus. I'm alive in this generation with so many opportunities. Hallelujah. I can go to the end of the world. Thank you for electronics. Thank you for the jet aircraft. Thank you for the press. Hallelujah. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the kingdom of God that's in me. Father, bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Thank you. You are blessing us. Right now, your blessing is flowing. They sang, let the river flow. Yes, it's flowing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, these are special people, and we thank you for them. They're chosen, and you've chosen them, conforming them to the image of your son, Jesus. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We can succeed. Plus, he's reached us and freed us, and his grace de-weeds us. He's made us. He breeds us. And now does his deeds through us. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. He, and always he leads us. And faithfully feeds us. He truly believes in us. And God knows he needs us. He wills to be in us so he can see through us and help us succeed. Thus, divinities 
free in us. What works is the He in us. He shares His great life with us. His love has redeemed us. Now we give our world a thrust. Want some more? God's principles speed us. And His Word is His creed for us. He then guarantees us. And He even precedes us. We know we were made from dust, but we were not made to rust. God gives us his stimulus because his life has seeded us. We've no time to think distrust, no room to breed mistrust because we're so industrious God makes us prosperous. Since our great exodus from sin's big fuss and muss, we're sowing trust, and thus our life is marvelous. Want some more? Behind is a trail of dust, blood, sweat, and tears. We must stand tall. Be proud and trust big because God lives in us. And he blesses all of us which shows how he trusts us. That's why we're so generous in life. We are God's big plus. Give God You copy that off. I hope I pronounced it clearly so you can copy it off the tape and you preach that and you live that verse by verse. You'll find a lot of discoveries there that will bless you and help you. Now today is the seventh lesson, the final lesson of a series of this, what I call a miracle life seminar. And we've, uh, we've shared it with you because uh, we were asked to. And the purpose of, this, of these seven principles is to discover the kind of person God wants us to be so that we can experience the miracle life of Jesus and continue what he began. He takes us beyond religion to God's miracle life. Strange statements like that. They seem ho-hum, but some folks get it. Some folks get it. And in the hard times to come, these are statements that will carry them through tough times.
I suppose most people ho-hum it through, uh, hear it, agree, like, uh, like, you know, a bunch of Catholics agreeing to the creed and reciting the, the words that we know forward and backwards. But some people catch on and it fires them for life. And the world, a world that's needy, is out there waiting on us and, and, and they're waiting on people who believe what they talk about. <clears throat> it's sad when preachers and teachers give lessons and ideas and organize them and they don't believe them themselves or they're not excited about them. I'm excited about the gospel. So these lessons are planned to take us beyond religion to God's miracle life. I said in our first lesson, you'll go forth in his name as his representatives. You'll be refreshed by a greater understanding of your own life and ministry. You'll be re-inspired to give humanity your best. Your, I said, your faith will be stronger, your hope will be brighter, your love will be deeper, your life will be fuller. I want to recap for you the seven principles. First principle. Of course, these studies are based on the word miracle. Use seven letters, using it as an acronym and tying seven principles to it. All the principles are found in the first four verses of the book of Acts. That's where they ought to be because that's where the ministry of Jesus in the body of a Jew from Nazareth finalizes and re-begins in the body of you and me, the bodies of you and me. Same Jesus, same ministry, same Holy Spirit, same hurting world, same pains, same diseases, same sins, same confusion. Jesus showed us how, died for us to redeem us so that we could be pure without sin, so that he could transfer all that he had from the Father to us. Now that's a profoundly important uh, resume of our position and of the gospel as it's presented to us. Very, very important that we understand that. And so these, these seven principles are right there where Jesus finishes and we begin. All that he did we are to continue. Marvelous. Amen. Sounds nice, Good. but if, if we believe it, then life becomes very serious, very wonderful, and we go out and we, we save our world. Amen. They're waiting on us. They're waiting on people who believe. So, so this acronym, MIRACLE, begins with M, the model that God wants us to follow. 
based on the words all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's our model. The great question that we posed, what unlocks God's miracle life in us? The answer, to see in Jesus the model of what God wants us to be and do and have. Final, st final statement for that lesson. Jesus showed us God. That sounds real, almost silly over here in this world where everybody is, 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 is knows about God. I've just come from Thailand. People don't know God. I've, I've perused most of the book of the, say, the teachings of Buddha. The word God isn't in the book. They don't have any word for that. So, so see, it's, it's important when we go out to our world to understand that the world out there, the language that we must go to that world with is different than we use in the sanctuary. Most preachers never change their language. <laughs> when they go out to the church, they talk church talk. They talk clubs talk. And, and unbelievers uh, don't know what they're talking about. Let's, let's purpose to always talk the language that people understand, people of the world. The, the non-Christian, they're the ones we're after. Well, I know a lot of preachers aren't after them. A lot of preachers are, are called, they feel they're called, they feel their mission is to make everybody holier. <laughs> but it bores me because I think Christ's already done that as good as it can be done. And so our job is to relate it, relate it to unbelievers. But some of you will go out and you'll spend your life making folks holier. And if you're happy doing that, that's wonderful. If you're content doing that, that's beautiful. For me, I would be bored because I, I'm already holy. And I didn't do it. He did it. I didn't want it. He wanted it. And he fulfilled it in me, and it's in me, and you can't improve it. And so I'm busy helping people who don't know about it. I think that's a more productive life. Suits me better. Might not suit you better. Suits me better. So, so the final statement for lesson one, Jesus showed us God. <clears throat> lesson number two, M-I, for inspiration, the inspiration of his example. That's based on the words, until the day he was taken up, all of the panorama, panorama of his ministry inspires me. I look at that and I'm turned on. If you look at that and you're not turned on and, and, and your purpose is not to imitate that, then you're missing a lot of the best stuff. What inspires you? What, what makes your blood circulate faster about the gospel? See, to me, it's, it's seeing 
how he did it and that he showed me I can do it. Wow. And that's exciting. Until the day was taken up. The big question for that day was, what makes the Christian faith more than a philosophy? The answer, the discovery that Jesus is alive in people, in people who believe on it. That's not a philosophy. That's not a religion. That is not a religion. I think F.F. F. Bosworth helped me when I was very young. I'd hear him say so often, Christianity is not a religion. We've made it a religion, but it's not a religion. It's a life. It's a miracle life. Amen. This is a miracle life seminar. <clears throat> if you're willing to live without the miracle life, that's your choice. You can do that. But my passing your way is to encourage you to not live without the miracle life. Recognize it. Confess it. Believe it. Live in it. It'll keep you happy. <laughs> excited when you constantly remember who you are what you have and so so the discover that Jesus is in us makes us more than philosophers the final statement for lesson two Jesus showed us us lesson one he showed us God lesson two he showed us us. Third lesson, R, M-I-R, our response to his mandate. He, through the Holy Ghost, gave command. His command demands our response, yes or no, okay or no. We do respond. We can never hear truth and be neutral. Truth must be accepted or rejected. We do that unconsciously. That takes place back behind our thinking. It happens. Let's watch it and be sure that it's always a bubbling, a joyful, a springing yes to truth. Hallelujah. I always remember Bosworth saying, always say, mm-hmm, wow. Well, yes, amen, I like it. Give me more, mm-hmm, I take it. I like that attitude. And he was a happy old man. I'm a happy old man now because I live with a uh-huh in my life. Yes, it's for me. Glory to God, glory to God. So the big question for the third lesson, what brings out God's best in a person? And the answer, to understand that his plan depends on us. He can't, he can't do it by himself. Are you bored with me going? No, you're not bored with me going over this. It, giving you another shot in the arm. You know, yeah, see. So the, the devil will never steal it from you. And I'm telling you, these statements that almost become cliches in your brain because I repeat them and repeat them and repeat them. I know that's the success of teaching. I know that. 
Many people don't know that. They want to seem important and always say something new, but the people miss most of what they say. Hang in there. Say it again. Repeat it again. Be, be willing to become monotonous. And those are the statements that when you're out there and face devils and it's tough, they'll come back to you and they'll take you through. And the funny part is the devil knows you've learned those things and he won't bother you near as much. He don't bother me. <laughs> poor devil. Yeah, poor devil. The under... What? What brings out God's best? To understand that he depends on us. The final statement on lesson three. He regards us as his partners. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Take that and believe it. When you're in the tough place, remember a partner is with you. The divine partner. And you say the words, they hear your voice, but it's his word that they're facing. Glory to God. You may touch them, but it's his life and power that's making them whole. You are partnering with him. That brings out the best in a person. He regards us, the final statement, as his partners. Lesson number four, principle number four. M-I-R-A, A for action, as his delegates. Based on, he commanded those whom he chose and sent forth, says, says apostles. Apostles. Well, he commanded more than the apostles. He commanded all of those folks that were gathering with him. There's 120 at least on the day of Pentecost. I don't know how many more, but he commanded them all. All of them. And all of, there were 12 named apostles, 11 at that time, and they voted in another one. But, uh, but, but, but he commanded them, apostles, we, we put a holy hat on people who are apostles. <laughs> I, I wish we didn't. It really means, you know, we, we do glorify certain words. Words are so prejudicial. Words are so opinionating. You can use certain words and really bring, uh, bring people down on you. <clears throat> words. And so, so apostles, one of those words, if, if you play with that, that that's, a, that's a holy icon of a word. That we, that we hang on it uh, certain, a lot of ideas that we've been taught. But it's simple. It's like the kingdom of God. It's simple. It's simple. Apostle means someone sent. Well, are you not sent? So in that sense, we're all apostles. In that sense, we're all sent. Let's recognize that. Let's be willing to be sent. <laughs> Every chapter in John except three, Jesus talks about being sent. Why do you do that? Do you talk about being sent? When you preach, do you tell people, I'm sent of God to you? I came from God to you. Jesus did. We're supposed to do like him. Do you ever tell people that you're a chosen one of God to come and give them good news? They'll set up and take notice if you tell them that. I tell people that all over the world. 
I walk to the platform, a sea of people. I say, God has sent me to you. I have good news for you. He only has good news. I have the good things to tell you about him. And if you believe on him, he'll come to you and bless you and heal you and save you and give you his life. I always tell him, I'm sent from God. What I'm saying is from God. I come with his words. Say that. Believe that. Believe that. Believe that. If you don't believe it, don't say it. You've memorized two or three little sermons. I don't know whether God sent you. Well, okay. I guess he'll even use them. He'll use whatever we give to him. <laughs> Sometimes it's not very hot, but he'll use it. That's the marvel of his grace. That if he, had, if he just had smart people, he'd use them. But he just has people like us. And he gets along with us. So if you're two or three sermons, okay, he'll use them. <laughs> action, action as his delegates. He commanded those even cho chosen. What's the big question we posed in that lesson? What happens when we discover how much God trusts us? You've got this memorized. Good for you. It'll, 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 it'll stand with you in the tough times. Yeah. What happens when we discover how much God trusts us? Well, in the first place, theology doesn't teach us that God trusts us. Theology teaches us to trust God. Well, that's easy. My goodness, you shouldn't have to be taught that. But the marvel is that he trusts us. It's easy to love God. Look who he is and look who we are. No big deal that you brag on loving God. But hey, it's another thing when we talk about how much God loves you. What good are you? He thinks you're wonderful. So that's lesson four. And the big, uh, the final statement for lesson four. Wait, I didn't give you the answer. What happens when we discover uh, how much God trusts us? That's why I make notes, see. What happens? He trusts us. We find out. What happens? Our response to his trust. I mean, wow, he trusts us. Okay, yes. Our response motivates us to action. See, never forget that. He sent me. Well, if he sent me, have I a choice? No. Okay, so what? Well, like Daisy and me, I'll tell you about it a little bit later. We figured it out. He's the same today. His word's alive. It's for us. We've got to do something. We've got to do something. You know enough to start. You got enough money to begin. Mother Teresa began with two pennies. She said with two pennies in God you can do anything. You got enough of a vision to start. You got an idea that's good enough, start on it. Do something. Action. You never get anywhere without that. So, the final statement for lesson four 
depends on, he depends on us and believes in us. Easy to believe in God. Only a fool don't believe in God. <laughs> but, and, and theology and churches and pastors all over the world are trying to get us to believe in God. My goodness, you'd be a fool if you didn't. But now, when you talk about God believing in me and you, and, 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 as, as troublesome as we are, you know, that's a new story. You think some of that is what's going to lead us into the finale of this thing? Finally waking up that we are to continue what Jesus began because we have been given what Jesus was given and we are sent with the mission that he was sent on. And the same Holy Spirit that was on him is in us. Do you think some of that may finally breed up through the, the, the clouds of theology and give us hope where we can finally wrap this thing up and give the world the truth? China's going to open. Russia's open. The Muslim world's going to open. Who's going to help them? It's got to be people that knows that God believes in them. Not goes out fussing and say, I believe, I believe, I believe, hallelujah, I believe, I believe, only believe, only believe, believe, believe. No, 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 no. No, he believes in us. He's trusting us. Well, he did so much for us. If we agree with it, no wonder he believes in us. He knows that he redeemed us. He knows that he took us, he ransomed us out of the devil's power and made us his followers. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, think that over. You're thinking that over real good. I'm letting you cool a little. Okay, yeah. The fifth principle. Oh boy, they get better and better and better. The fifth principle, C, M-I-R-A-C, C, for the credibility of the gospel. He showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Question, what makes our Christian witness believable? So important. And the answer is, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ makes our witness credible. Amen. If Christ is not risen, we're not credible. Final statement. The resurrection offers... Final statement. God offers tangible proof of our witness in the resurrection. God offers the resurrection as tangible proof that our witness of the gospel is true. If you only preach on the resurrection on Easter, it hasn't dawned on you yet the importance it hasn't dawned on you yet that all your preaching throughout the year isn't even credible if it's not real to you that he's risen from the dead and has come to set up his throne in your heart and you are 
walking with him alive in you. That's not yet if you only preach resurrection. I can't hardly preach without preaching resurrection because that's why I'm alive. God brought him back from the dead with a new kind of life and gave me the same kind of a life that Jesus had when he came back from the dead. And that's how I live. That's what I am. That's the gospel. You understand? Hallelujah. Credibility of the gospel. And what's the final statement? I said, the resurrection gives us tangible proof. Resurrection, because I live, you shall live. See, his life, Paul prayed that we would understand that the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead works in you. See, that's what he said. So the life that we receive from him is resurrection life. It offers tangible proof of our witness. The sixth principle M-I-R-A-C-L. L for the legality of our faith. He was seen of them 40 days speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Question, big question. How does Jesus minister today in our community? How? Answer. Since we're redeemed, his spirit his word and his presence now functions through us. That was the last lesson that we had. Can I say that again? Since we are redeemed, if we weren't redeemed, this couldn't happen. Redeemed means our sins are gone, put away, remitted. Since we are redeemed, his spirit his word and his presence now functions through us. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the final statement for lesson six, he taught us how Jesus taught us how God can now minister through us. Today, lesson number seven. M-I-R-A-C-L-E. E for the experience of his E, energy. Amen. The experience of his energy. Say that. The experience of his energy. Say it again. The experience of his energy. Say, I believe in his energy. I want to experience it. I want it to flow through me. The experience of his energy. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Don't run off half cocked. Wait till you get the experience of the energy that makes this thing possible. Amen? Amen. Big question for today. How big can possible be in you? That's the question. Little question. How can Jesus Christ be the same today as he was in Bible days? How? How? Only if we let him. You believe that? Yes. Little question. What level of ministry 
is realistic for your life? What size are you? <laughs> See, we set our own limits. God doesn't. How big are you? How big can God be in you? What can Jesus do in you? And I said before, especially you women need to ask that question. Because you know that in you, you've been taught and you've learned and you've acquiesced to the doctrine that he's different in you than in a man. There are certain things that he can't do in a woman. Because Paul said so. Disregard what Jesus said. Paul said so. Paul takes precedence over Jesus. We don't follow Jesus, we follow Paul. Paul is God. Jesus, a nice guy. It seemed like that argument alone would shut the mouths of those that try to shut the women up from preaching. It seemed like that would be enough. I've made a list. Did I bring them? No, I left them at home. I'm sorry. I made a list. I've got 14 things that, 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 that we are commanded to do that we don't do, blatantly don't do, and it's clearly commanded that we do. 14 of them. My list is growing. <laughs> I'm just started. That he commanded us to, and we blatantly stand up before our conventions and say, oh, times have changed. That's for another age. That's not the custom today. We don't do that today. We've, we've, we've developed culturally. But when it comes to the women, no. We go back to the first century, and you women have to acquiesce to first century culture. And don't move out of it because Paul said, keep silent. See? It's the silliest thing that ever came to the Christian faith and crippled over half of the church of Jesus Christ. It's guilty. They're guilty. It must, we must stop it. Now, if I have to, before I die, I'm going to start conducting women's meetings all over the world. Somebody has got to wake the world up that that's silly to pick one out of 20 commands not to do, and it's the only one that we enforce. But all the others we ignore, and we say no times have changed. <clears throat> okay. Where was I? <clears throat> How big can he be in you? What level of ministry is realistic for your life? Is God limited by living in you, in a woman, in a lay person? Think about that. Think realistically about it. We can't afford to limit him. What's the answer? How big can possible be in you? What's the answer? With his power and virtue in us, our possibilities are unlimited. Shall we say that together? With his power and virtue in us, his possibilities are unlimited in us. Shall we run that through again? With his power and virtue in us, our possibilities are unlimited. 
Hallelujah. Final statement for that lesson. We haven't concluded the lesson, but I'll give it to you up front. He transferred his life and power to us. Hallelujah. He did it. That is life to me. I have to prove that. When I stood before that field of Buddhists that don't know God, they have no word for the word the, in all of that book, the sayings of the teachings of Buddha, enlightenment, enlightenment. Then the New Age comes along, and they're nothing but just American Buddhists, you know. Mix Hindu and Buddhist up there about the same thing. And then the New Age over here in America, in the colleges and everything, it's the same thing. It's the nicest doctrine that you can possibly think of. Did you ever read New Age doctrine? Did you, it's the same as reading Hinduism. Almost the same. 99 and 9 tenths percent the same. And Buddhism is one of the most beautiful religions in the world. I'm telling you, if our country could live by the teachings of Buddha, we would be away down the road. But, of course, they don't know who God is. But good principles. And that's enlightenment. And that's deity. God, no, that, that, that's not known. No. God, no, no, no. What are you going to do when you go to Thailand? What are you going to do? Are you going to use God in your vocabulary? They won't know what it means. What do you expect the interpreter to do with, with that? What's he going to say? Well, I know what he's going to say. He's going to say, Pra Chao. Pra means deity. The only word in the, in the, in, in the, in the Thai language, in, in all the countries, Laos, Cambodia, uh, Vietnam, uh, India, Himalayas, Bhutan, all, all, the only word any of them have for God is pra-Buddha. And pra means deity. Buddha, you know what that means. So Buddha, this deity, is God. The Christian missionaries realized they had to invent some words. I told you this before. I haven't forgotten I'm telling it again because the second time more of you will catch it. <clears throat> Simple. Repeat. You understand? And so the missionaries, they, they had a dilemma. How are we going to communicate? So they began to invent words, Christian words. So they changed Prabuddha to Prachal. And Chal is, is, is the Christian's idea to say for God. Prachal. So, so, Kokun uh, is thanks. Kokun prachal means thanks. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Kokun prachal. Not Kokun prabuddha, but prachal. The Christians understand that. But then when they go out to the village or the towns or the streets to preach, they talk about prachal. And the Buddha say, what's that? We don't know who that is. Okay, I don't need to say more about that. You either caught, caught on or you didn't. But, but my point is, the, the final statement, he transferred his life and power to us. Now, on the back of your paper, there are, there are I think, seven uh, 
five, six statements. Let's read them out loud together. You've got that, your piece of paper. It's on the back side. Uh, you, you've got your folder today, your, your bigger one that becomes the cover for all seven papers. You can staple them together and keep them. And I'm telling you, if when you go to prayer, you'll read them out loud, the devil, you won't be able to, the devil won't stay and listen. He'll be gone. You say, devil, I want you to hear this. He won't stay. You can't catch him. You watch it because these are the essence, the dynamic of truth that will steer you through and you will continue what Jesus began. Let's read those six statements out loud together. You got them on the back of your paper? Number one, be sure you are connected with the miracle source. Number two, get an experience that matches the Bible. Say, I will. Say, I do. Say, I have. If I haven't, I'll get it. Number three, don't limit Christ in your life. Say, I will. Number four, contend for biblical Christianity. Say, I do. I won't be pleased without it. Number five, believe and act on Christ's word. Say, I do. That's my future. I will do it. Hallelujah. And number six, experience the miracle power of the gospel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Poor devil. He's in trouble. He's in trouble. Be sure, number one, that you're connected with the miracle source. Now let's turn to 1 John 1 and read the first three verses. What powerful verses they are. I think John did the most beautiful job of confessing his faith when he wrote this. Let's read the first three verses together. You, you got it ready? You ready? First John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Say hallelujah. That's really a beautiful statement, isn't it? Is that where you stand? Be sure you're connected with the miracle source. John said, we've heard it. We've seen it with our eyes. Our hands have handled it. <laughs> it was manifested to us. We've seen it. We've heard it. He repeats it. With our, we've seen it. We've looked upon it. Our hands have handled it. Life that was manifested to us. We've seen it, heard it, declare it. We declare it unto you. The Jesus of history. 
becomes the Christ of experience. You believe it? That's what we want. <laughs> That's a powerful statement. Can you say that? When you go before the world, in your heart, can you know, I've seen it, I've felt of it, I've touched it, I've experienced it, I've looked at it with my eyes, it's been shown to me and manifested, I come with that. That'll, that'll make you preach different. Yeah, you'll preach wonderful like that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Number two, get an experience that matches the Bible. <clears throat> you believe in that? Christianity is historical, but it also is experiential. You believe that? There are two kinds of reality. The reality of history and the reality of experience. Don't miss this. The highest degree of certainty is when reality of history becomes the reality of experience. Never forget that. We preach the historical Jesus, the historical gospel. But in life, we must experience the gospel. Today's lesson, the finale of miracle, the E for experience, all of the other six principles constitute no more than head knowledge if we don't experience it. And we become walking, roving, boring philosophers if we don't experience it. Verse 4, Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father, the E. Our experience that proves our faith. My experience vouches for my faith. Point number three. Don't limit Christ in your life. The seventh major question that we, we stated to you. How big can possible be in you? The answer, with his power, I said it before, with his power and virtue in us, our possibilities are unlimited. Mark 16, 20, they went forth, preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming his word with signs following. They saw Jesus' example. Now, Jesus had been crucified. He was history. They followed his example. They set out to experience what he had experienced. They wanted their experience to be what his history was. Acts 3, 1 to 6, the cripple at the gate. I always think it's kind of funny. John must have said to Peter, Peter, here's our chance. Let's go for it. <laughs> Jesus said we can do it. Let's do it. No doubt. 
that set the town in an uproar and the high, the high pontificates got all alarmed and they started to bring down the gavel on Peter and John. And in the fourth chapter, verses 13 to 16, they, but they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Why? Because they said, for in verse 16, for that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. <laughs> Poor devil. He'll take off. He'll leave. If he can't deny it, no. Verse 5. Chapter 5. Look at this. Look, look, look at these guys and ladies. These people were really serious. With all of that before the Sanhedrin and the problems and them putting in the jail, angel letting them out, them going doing it again, catching them again. You know the story. Chapter 5, verse 12. By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Go do that to your world. Go make signs and wonders happen. Don't wait for God to do signs and wonders. Go make them happen. Often when I'm teaching young preachers or preachers, and I'll tell these Wonderful stories. Oftentimes I go where I've been before. They'll say, Brother Osborne, tell us those stories. <laughs> it is wonderful, the stories. And I keep finding new ones. The older you get, the more of them you'll find. Many of them, I didn't know about them when I was young. But now they come and tell me. And it's wonderful. Believe what you preach. It'll be that way with you. Amen. You believe it? Yes. That, guy, that leper in, in, in Bangkok, I didn't know about him. In fact, there were six others, and I read you the letter about the six others. that were, I didn't know about any of them. I left town and never knew a leper had been healed in Trong. But I believed what I preached. I believed Jesus bore our diseases. I believe when we tell people that the power of the gospel brings Jesus in reality into their lives. I believe that the truth makes people free. I believe that the preaching of the cross is the power of God. I preached it. I believed it. I lived it. And we had a lot of evidence. A lot of people healed. I didn't know about any of those, those seven, was it seven? Yeah, seven other lepers. I, know about a, I knew about a leper in Bangkok, a woman whose hands were clenched, her back was bent, part of her nose was gone, part of her toes were gone. She was ashamed. She wouldn't come in the crowd. She stood at the edge. I might have told you about her. But we preached. She heard it. She believed it. And God, in his great mercy, came to that woman out under that tree, apart from the crowd, and healed her. She could straighten up. She could move her hands. It was marvelous. That gave her the courage to come out into the public and come to the platform. She was afraid to otherwise, but she came to show them how she was healed. 
That's beautiful. I know about her. That happened while I was there. I didn't know about the man or the others. I didn't know about them. But I believe when you, pre- you, know, you know, preachers, listen to me. Listen to me. You young preachers especially. You go out and you think, oh, if I was like Osborne, have them big crowds. Yeah, you have those big crowds. You'll always have some miracles. Don't, don't bank on it. Don't bank on it. If you don't believe the gospel, you can have 100,000. You won't have any miracles. Remember that. Remember that. God shows himself when he's believed on. When you believe this. If you don't believe this, don't teach it. Don't go out there just see if it'll work. No, 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 no. No, no. But listen, let me say something. In every crowd, wherever the great T.L. Osborne preaches and teaches the gospel, wonderful miracles happen. But all over the audience, there are people that didn't get healed. And that always burdens me and hurts me. Because I always carry a, a quandary. Lord, you sent me to preach a why, why aren't they all healed? But what am I going to do? Stop and suck my thumb in self-pity? No. Keep preaching and rejoice in everyone that believes. And know that the truth of the gospel dislodges Satan's disease power in their lives and they will get well. I think every one of them that believe the gospel truly and walk in that faith, get well. I don't live to know about it. I'm, I'm gone. I've left town. Now what about you? You go out and pray for somebody. And, and, and you believe. And you pray. And their healing isn't manifested. And you're wanting to come to, to the preachers that have preached to the masses and want us to tell you why. What about us? We pray for people that are not healed. If you line up that 100,000 and let me pray for every one of them individually, I imagine I would get the same result that I get by a mass prayer. Some of them would be healed. But most of them wouldn't be healed instantly. I would have to have faith. I've prayed for you. I've laid my hands on you. I trust God. The Bible says you shall recover. Go in faith. Resist the devil. You'll get well. Does that help you? The the boring dilemma that young people always come to me with, you know. Well, I pray for someone and they're not healed instantly. How many have you prayed for? Three? Five? See? Believe what you preach. Believe in who you are. Believe in the power of the Holy Ghost at work in you. Do what Jesus said, lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. This guy went back to the north of Thailand and recovered. I didn't know about it, but he believed. The curse, the germ, the demon of leprosy left him that night. I didn't know anything about it. I preached this to the crowd of people. But he heard it and believed it 
and says he was healed. Went back, the burning stopped. He went back to the north, got a Bible, began to study it, was so convinced of the truth of it, and became a preacher. I told you that. Opened five churches, focused on ministering to the lepers of North Thailand. And ten years after his miracle and beginning his ministry, the government issued a statement that those two provinces were leprosy-free. Now that's pretty wonderful. I didn't know anything about it until this time. That's been 48 years ago. Wait till you get 48 years older. If you've been faithful praying for people, healing them, helping them get saved, they'll come to you like they come to me and say, oh, I came to your meeting, you prayed for me, nothing happened at the time, but I knew I was healed and all these years I've been well. They'll tell you stories like that if you believe. <laughs> Does that help you? Believe in what you have. You're somebody. You came from God. <laughs> the devil knows it. When you find it out, he'll leave you alone. When he comes to you, he has to deal with Jesus. And he won't tackle that. Jesus whipped him. Destroyed his power. Hallelujah. Broke his power. Colossians. Glory to God. Do you believe that? By the hands of the apostles were many. We're talking about don't limit Christ in your life. They had seen him. He was history now. They were their experience to be like his history. And when those two things come together, it's the highest degree of reality. You believe it? By the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders done. Believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. Verse 15, chapter 5. Insomuch they brought forth the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and couches. There came a multitude, listen to this, came a multitude out of the cities round about to Jerusalem. These are the disciples of Jesus. Jesus has gone back to heaven, sat down by the right hand of the Father. They were doing like he did. Match that up with Mark 6, 56, the last verse in Mark 6. Whithersoever he entered into the village or city or country, they laid the sick in the street wherever they heard he was, besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the board of his garment, as many as touched him were made whole. See? You believe that? Well, match that up with this. Now it's the disciples. They're carrying on what he began. That's what we're to do. That's what I'm doing. That's what you're called to do. Don't limit him. He's as big as you let him be. There came a multitude out of the cities round about to Jerusalem. That happens every city I go to. <laughs> Verse 
bringing sick folks, them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, everyone. Hallelujah. Their history and their experience said the same thing. Number four, contend for biblical Christianity. For Christianity to be biblical, there must be miracles. Of course we must teach doctrine. Of course we must teach history. But we must. But without miracles, it's just a religion. When Daisy and I were so young, we went to India as missionaries. We wanted to help people. Give us, give us E for effort. We, we wanted to help people. And uh, we couldn't. The Muslims and, and the Buddhists, the Mohammedans, we couldn't convince them. So, you know, it was so confusing to us. We went out there, we thought they were all heathen. <laughs> and we were and they're the most God-fearing people in the world. They love God with all of their heart. They don't know God like we know God. They love it, the supreme being, the omnipotent one, the eternal one, the divine, divinity, deity. They don't know what it is. Like I told you about the philosophers. Shankaracharya said, it's not that. Lao Tse said, it's silence. Don't forget those stories. They'll help you. We couldn't help those people. They prayed five times a day. We didn't. <laughs> we had, we had our, our Bible, but they had a black book with gold print. And I couldn't prove which one was right. This and talked about Jesus, that and talked about Muhammad or the Vedas. So we did the smartest thing we ever did. We came home. And I've seen a lot of people that ought to go home. They ought to go home. Don't go out and be one that ought to come home. I didn't have what you have. I never heard what you're hearing. Never. Never. All I was, I was a Pentecostal noisemaker. And the bigger the noise, the more the power. That's all I knew. I talked about all, all of our Pentecostal culture. And that woke me up. I, 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 had to, I, had to, I had to do something. So we came home. I said, I won't do any good out here. Let's go home. I was going to prove to them what, what the Bible says. They said, what, do you, what, what is that? I said, that's the Bible, the holy word of God. No, no, no. And they had their Quran. I said, what's that? They said, it's Quran, the holy word of God by the mouth of his prophet Muhammad. I said, who's Muhammad? I shouldn't have been out there. I didn't know. See? And we went home. <laughs> I say we went home. Where folks, where folks believe the Bible. I thought the whole world believed the Bible. I got out there and found out they didn't. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I went home, heartbroken, 
embarrassed. And that's where we went to the Assembly of God camp meeting at Books, Oregon. Charles Price had died. We first was going to see Wigglesworth. He died. We was going to see Amy McPherson. She died. We wanted to find somebody that had miracles. We had seen the masses. If you have miracles, we knew it would be like the Bible. They'd believe, but we didn't know what to do. So we got out of there, but we come home on a chase to find these people, and Smith died just before we saw him. Amy died just before we saw her. But we heard at last that, that Dr. Price was coming to Oregon to preach at the camp meeting, and we were so thrilled, and he died. Our last hope. I went to the church, prayed all night. Oh, God, who, 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 what, what, what are we going to do? What's the world going to do? Who's going to fill the auditorium? Who's going to demonstrate your power so the people can see you? I told you I'd tell you my story today. Just, just a little bit of it. <clears throat> just a little of it. And then, the, and then that, that convention came, and we went to it, and Hattie Hammond preached, if you ever see Jesus, you'll never be the same again. I'll never forget what that did to me. As a result of that, we walked out of there in tears, drove home in tears. We had four visions. I don't recommend you have a bunch of visions or a vision. The greatest vision you'll ever have is the picture of Jesus, of God through Jesus in the Scripture. That is dependable. You start seeing things, uh, <laughs> the devil may cheat a little on you and confuse you a little. Don't do that. Don't do that. But for me, it happened. We had four visions. The first one was, the next morning after that event, Jesus walked, at six o'clock, Jesus walked into our room, our bedroom. Not on the floor, but in the, in the kind of like on cloud. I don't know. He walked in there. I'll never forget it. It changed my life forever. It's as fresh now as it was when it happened. His eyes were, were like blue flames of love. Now that sounds funny. That's the way they were. That's the way they looked to me. I'll never forget him. I couldn't move a finger or a toe. I was, I was like paralyzed. I don't know how long it was before I could move enough to get on my face on the floor. When I was able to do that, I lay there until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Daisy had gotten up with the children, cooked them breakfast, fixed them bre breakfast and so forth. But I was there. She knew something was happening to me. When I walked out of that room, I was a new person. Jesus was Lord. Amen. Now for me to just say that, that sounds kind of glib, but, but you'd have to understand who I was. I was a denominational man. The spirit of denominationalism possessed me. I don't blame them. I blame me. I was the one that did it. Loyalty in a group of people in a denomination is wonderful. But for me, it was a spirit. I was proud. We were good singers, good musicians, and I guess I preached good because the big churches wanted me. So I don't know what I preached. I look at some of my old notes. It's kind of funny. 
but in, I was a noisemaker. And I did the best I could. <clears throat> but when I, and we, we pastored the headquarters church of the district of the four states of Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and Montana. The headquarters church was our church. They voted us into that church. It became available while we were on the seas returning from India. They believed in us, and they wanted to catch us and get us to doing something good. Most of them didn't want to see us go to India, you know. So they caught us when we got off the boat, and we were told at a fellowship meeting that we had been voted in as the pastors of that church. We were astounded, grateful, humbled by it. But we were, we were, we were a cocky young couple. We could really do things. And so, so, so that per, we'd have conventions. They'd call my name. I liked it. You know. <laughs> uh, I, I was the presbyter of the district. And the secretary treasurer. I handled all the money for the four states. So when I walked out of that room, all of that had just melted out of me, just like oil. It went out of me. I don't mean that I became a rebel, that I didn't respect them, no, but denominationalism no longer existed in me. I said to Daisy, I took her in my arms, I said, honey, Jesus is Lord. We're not preaching a dead religion. We are preaching the living Christ. He was alive to me. I'll never forget it. That was the first vision. Right after that, on the heels of God times things. So God will time, time things in your life. You'll see it happen. God watches out for you. Watch for the little things. Watch for things. I've always been impressed by Oral. We, we almost started out together. We used to have street meetings together out of Sand Spring. He'd play the guitar. I'd play the accordion. He'd come to the farm and get me. We had good meetings. We stopped the traffic. Great meeting. But I've always been, I've always been impressed by him, how he has, he has analyzed his life. And, and you hardly ever hear him preach. He don't tell some other little, little something that happened in his life, and he sees spiritual significance in it. Learn to do that. Learn to do that. Your life is significant. You're not a nobody. You're somebody sent from God to this world, and God is trying to put into you all that he put in his son Jesus because he prepared you. He sent Jesus. Jesus died for you and, and, and purged your sins so you could have it all. But religion keeps you from from embracing it and you keep putting yourself down or in your thinking I'm a nobody how big can God be how big can he be in you contend for biblical Christianity Amen. you see what I'm saying yeah. right on the heels of that experience a man came to town God had it time while we were fresh, while this was so overwhelming to us, Gordon Lindsay brought him to the Portland big auditorium, seats 8,000, and all the, the full gospel churches of Portland 
were part of that great healing crusade. And that man was a very Jesus-like man, small in stature, very articulate, but, but he knew God and was gifted in the most wonderful way. As he preached, when he preached, hundreds of people accepted Christ. I wanted to be able to do that. I didn't know how to get people saved. One of our meetings, a poor man attended our meeting for five weeks trying to get saved every night and never could. We couldn't get God interested in him. He was a sinner. We prayed and begged. Can you imagine that? Begging God to try to take an interest in him. I told you that before. That's why you laughed. It was a funny thing. Me. <laughs> but see, I didn't know what you know. And I happened on to that happy accident of quoting the scripture. I, no one ever told me to quote the scriptures. We have confession. We've made a doctrine out of it. Now we, we're so glib about it. We memorize them all, and they're like Catholics quoting, quoting, <laughs> you know, holy statements. You know, I don't mean anything, but we're confessing. We're confessing. Well, hallelujah for confessing. We better confess. I believe it. But... But, and, 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 and when I saw that man, he was, he was so, he spoke so firmly, and people got saved. That, that dear man was trying to get saved. I finally said, say what I say, and I quoted scripture, two or three scriptures, and he was shouting. Five weeks he had tried to get saved and couldn't, begging God. Three scriptures, and he was jumping with joy. Hallelujah. We confessed him. So there I was in the third balcony watching this man. Hundreds of people got saved. I wanted to do that. Then he prayed for the sick. The first one in line was a deaf and dumb girl born that way. That shocked me. That just made my hair stand up on end. Deaf and dumb. That seemed like the most awesome thing that could happen to a human person. Deaf and dumb. I'd never seen anything like that except an old neighbor farmer who was born deaf and dumb and he would come to our farm once in a great while driving his car because my dad could talk sign language. I admire my dad for that. He learned it so he could talk to people. I don't know why. He was a good Baptist. Maybe he wanted to tell them about the Lord. I don't know. I never heard him say that. He was a Baptist that didn't, <laughs> didn't pray and didn't go to church, but he was a bad Baptist. are always saved, you know. don't matter what they do. <laughs> That's good. I'd like to be a Baptist. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, as Osteen says, God bless the Baptist. <laughs> yeah. But, but my dad would talk to him, and that, that astounded me as a little boy. And now here I am, uh, married and uh, leading a home, and here I am, I've been a missionary uh, to India, and here this man's going to pray for the people, and the first one, deaf and deaf. Wow, me, a noise-making Pentecostal, that you've got to fast and pray lots to do something big like that. And so I was all revving up, getting ready, you know, and my steam was building because this is going to be a long, hard job. That man pulled that little girl to his side 
And he said, audience, would you bow your head, please? He said, very quiet and nice. So we ducked our head. Boy, this is, this is, this is big stuff dealing with devil. And I, I didn't want anything to do with the devil. I learned that in my religion. I learned, don't bother the devil or you'll get in trouble. Leave him alone. Poor devil. Now, poor devil. But anyhow, he drew, him, drew the little girl to his side. And you know what? He prayed. He spoke. And it was so sweet and so kind, but so powerful. He said, these are his words. I'll never forget. Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I adjure you. I like that word adjure, but we didn't use that. We said command. Adjure. Wow, that sounded official. Don't it? Wow. That's a powerful word. And that just helped my hair stand taller. Sure. Well, thou deaf and dumb spirit, I adjure thee by the name of Jesus Christ that you leave the child and enter her no more. Silent. And I'm getting ready to really tear the house down. I'm going to help him. He needs help. And we're all going to help him. You know what he did? He stood there. He's still holding her. Wait a little bit. He said, audience, you can lift your heads now. The child is healed. I said, how does he know? <laughs> that shook me up. I can't tell you how that shook me up. He was healed. 10,000 voices whirled over my head saying, you can do that. That proves the Bible's true. That's the way Jesus did it. That's the way Peter and Paul and John did it. You can do that. That proves the Bible is for today. I saw Jesus in that man. That was the second vision. He came in my bedroom. That second vision, I saw him in a person. We went home in tears. We didn't go to bed. We opened our Bibles at the little kitchen table. And we, we said, we're going to read the Gospels as though we never heard that they existed. We could imagine that because of being in India. See, they didn't know that, what they were. We're going to read them as though we never heard of them. And we began to read them. And with that attitude, we came across all those verses that says what we're supposed to do, that you all know by heart. I didn't know them. We read our Bibles through occasionally, quite often. Every year or two, we would go through the Bible. So we read all those scriptures, never saw them. I guess like Paul in, in, in the Old Testament scriptures, you know, missing Jesus, never saw him. Memorized the whole Old Testament, but missed the Christ. I guess we were like that. Pentecostal, full of the Holy Ghost, tongue talkers, everything that goes with it. But we missed what the Holy Ghost was for. And, and, and we came across those scriptures. Go, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out devils, cleanse lepers, raise the dead. We never saw that before. Luke, behold, I give to you power and authority over all devils to cast them out and to cure diseases. We never saw that before. It was staring us in the face. We either believed the Bible or we didn't believe the Bible. We believed it. 
And that's where we have the third vision. We saw Jesus in the scriptures. We saw Jesus in the scriptures. It came alive to us. Hallelujah for his word. It's wonderful. He is alive in this book. Well, there was nothing left to do but, but act. So, so we announced, bring the sick. That wasn't done very much back then. They took the sick to the hospitals, not the church. And then we told them, bring them to the church. That, that was rather, uh, rather extreme. But boy, did they bring them. They packed that old auditorium, standing around the edges. And I guess I preached good because a lot of people got saved. I had something good to preach about. Jesus was real to me. And I preached him. And then we made an altar call. Lots of people got saved. And then we lined them up like that man did to pray for, would you believe a deaf and dumb girl? Would you believe that? How God works things out. When I came to her, I did just like I remember that man doing. I didn't do it because I was scared. I did it because he did it like Jesus did it. He did it like Peter did it. That's the Bible way. Do it the Bible way. So, so I imitated him a little bit, and I pulled the girl to my side. I asked the audience to bow their head. They did. And I said those same words. I tried to remember them exactly. And, but it wasn't a trial. I believed in it. I was convinced. And that's why I used his words. Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I adjure. I use that word adjure. That, that's well, poor devil. When you use that, he, he better scat. That's a big word. That'll scare him. Excuse me, I'm not making fun. Excuse me. I adjure thee by the name of Jesus Christ that you leave the child and enter her no more. Silence. Boy, what silence. And I said, audience, you can lift your head now. The girl is healed. But I believed it. Amen. I believed it. Amen. I snapped my fingers. She whirled her head around. <laughs> Every word I said, she spoke it. It was a wonder of God. And that was when I had my fourth vision. I saw Jesus in me. <laughs> Hallelujah. Changed my life forever. And that's when I could learn to say what Jesus said. I'm sent from God. He has sent me. He is in me. That's when, and right after that, can I tell you one little story here? Just, just a, a phenomenal story. Why would I tell you this? The only reason I guess I'd tell you is to make you know God looks out for you. God will take care of you. He'll do something to help you if you're sincere. Here we are, pastors of that church in Portland. A missionary, a New Zealand missionary to Indonesia was in New Zealand on, on furlough. A good man. And God spoke to him. Go to Portland, Oregon. I want you to share these books with a couple. Kenyon's books. Now, there's some cocky little stories about Kenyon that, that 
that he's new age and all that, don't believe it. His books are the forerunner. They're, they're, they're absolutely, they, they are the seedbed of the great charismatic revival, healing revival that has swept the world since the Voice of Healing days. Don't forget it. That's true. A few things maybe you wouldn't agree with, but forget that. Don't, don't miss the meal because you don't like the pickles. See? See? But, but this man, God spoke to him. So he got on a boat and sailed for Portland, Oregon. Got off the boat. Didn't know what to do. The Lord impressed him, get on the streetcar. There, there was a tram car that went from downtown Portland, the river, plumb out south, over, over Mount Tabor, and on out to 82nd Street. Our church was at 80th Street. He got on that thing and ever stopped. He wasn't impressed to get off. Rode it to the end, one block before the end. And he was impressed, get off here. He got off. Walked down the sidewalk, two blocks was our church. Daisy and I were out pulling weeds and cleaning around the church to make it look nice. And the Lord said to him, that's the couple. And he's the man that brought to us E.W. Kenyon's books. Isn't that remarkable? See, God will do things for you. Look, you're in this Bible school. Why are you here? Did someone pay to send you here? Who told you about it? How did it happen that you knew about it? All those. Think of them. God is working on you all the time, preparing you because there's a hurting world out there that don't even know his name. And you've got to be prepared to do something other than talk in tongues. I'm telling you, Pentecostal people have got to do better than that. We have the power, but we blow it off in tongues and, and think it's good. Well, okay. I speak in tongues. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I saw Jesus in me, and it changed my life. Then came those books, and that was my Bible school. I didn't have what you have. But I had Kenyon's books. And boy, did I study them. It changed our lives. We went to Jamaica. First, first trip we went to Jamaica. 13 weeks. 125 deaf mutes were healed. 90 totally blind people were healed. Hundreds of cripples were healed. If you go to Jamaica today, only the old people will remember. A few, most of them are dead. But, but a few old people will remember and will tell you the stories. I, I think I told you about that encounter in London. A big, tall, black man came up to me in the hotel and looked down at me. And when he spoke, I knew he wasn't, he wasn't American. He wasn't English. I knew his accent. And I said, you, you're Caribbean. Where, where are you from? He said, Jamaica. And he looked at me and smiled. And he said, do you remember Vida? I said, Vida? Vida McKenzie? And he smiled, yes. She was the, the cripple, the, the, 
the woman who had the, the, the stroke that threw her into a total coma. She hadn't moved for four days. Saliva running out of her mouth, her eyes rolled back, arms hanging. Nothing of length except her heart was beating. And four women loaded her on an old wheelbarrow and brought her to that meeting. That was been 1948 or 49. You weren't even born yet, see? <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, she was healed. He smiled at me. He says, my mother was one of those four women that brought them. If you go to Jamaica, old people. He wasn't, he wasn't old, but his mother was old. And uh, they, they'll tell you about it. But <clears throat> the world needs us. God is preparing you for this. And all those people were healed. From there, we went to other countries. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico was the first mass evangelism crusade. I'll put just a little of that together. Listen to that. Only for your encouragement. I told you I'd tell you a little bit of my story on, on this last session. After Jamaica, we went home. F.F. Bosworth heard about us and said, come to Flint, Michigan. The evangelist here, that same evangelist that was in Portland, is tired and, and we're having to carry him out every night. And he has heard about you and wants you to come and carry on his meeting. That was on about Tuesday night. Bosworth and Lindsay were running the meeting. So I went. We went. And we carried on that meeting. And, and it, uh, this man was so gifted with the word of knowledge. <laughs> so gifted. I've never seen anybody like him in my life. And uh, then me with nothing. I mean, I never had a gift of any kind. God must have got mad at me. <laughs> but, but he lives in me. He lived, I begged him a long time for a gift like that, but it didn't do any good. But he lives in me. I had to learn that he's the giver of all gifts. And whatever gift he needs, it's there. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Well, that might be new to some of you, but you think that over, mull that over, do what you want to with it. I, I share it with you. But, but this man, this man, so wonderful, marvelous, never anybody saw anything like it. And now here I come on the next night. I'll never, I'll never forget here when they lined up. The first one in the line was a blind woman with a seeing eye dog. <laughs> and there I was, no gift, no nothing. What would you do about that? And then people have been seeing these wonderful miracles, and all I could do is just move in, you know. I went to work on her. <laughs> but no, 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 I mean, I, I, I knew what I was doing, and I told her what to do, and I put my hands on her, and when I took them away, and she was healed, and she went to screaming, and the dog went to barking. He thought I was hurting the woman. And that was kind of spooky, you know. <laughs> but we managed to get the dog settled down, and the woman was healed. But in that meeting... I, I, I was, Brother Bosworth had said to me one time, now this is good for you, Brother Bosworth had said to me one time, he said, it seems to me like, now he'd never done this, but he thought about it, and he provoked me. I'm the one that began mass healing. You know that? The first one ever 
to go out on a field among non-Christian people and call the public and tell them, come and see if the God I preach in the Bible is true. If he'll do what he says, we know it's true. If he won't do what he says, we'll know he's a fake. I started that. Well, Bosworth had, said, had planted the seed. He had told me, he said, Brother Osborne, it seems to me like that if we would teach 10 people the, sick, the same truth, that Jesus bore their diseases, and if all 10 of them believed it at the same time, wouldn't they all be healed at the same time? Well, that made sense to me. So that had been bugging me. Bosworth was there, him and Lindsay, me on the platform. God was healing them. But I was worried about so many people there, 5,000 people there. And I thought, wow, lining them people up, that'd take a long time. And, and I may be young, but I'm not interested in that. <laughs> and, and Bosworth's idea... Now, now, this other guy that prayed for the sick, he would pray for about 10 people and then quit and go home. Well, that, that, that was his ministry. He had right to do that. But I, I was serious. I figured if you tackle them, you got to handle all of them. You know, you can't quit and go home. And so, so I was concerned about this. So I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna to do something. I know it'll work. But I'm going to do it. I said, I want everybody here that's deaf in one ear to raise your hand. Well, they started raising their hands. I didn't realize so many people were deaf in one ear. And, and the 53 of them came forward. 53. And there they stood before me. And Bosworth was sitting there smiling. He had never seen this happen either. And, and he was real tickled. Lindsay's watching this. And so there I stood before. To me, it was a clear-cut case. The devil was in trouble. If I could cast out one devil, I could cast out 53 just as easy. See, I believe that. But this is what led to mass evangelism. You've never heard this story. I told them. I, get, I prepared them. Told them all the reasons. Quoted all the scriptures. Set them up. Don't run around and pray for people. Teach them. If you don't teach them, they can't believe. So many, so many young people, they pray for someone, they get healed of a headache, and then they start praying for everybody, and then they get discouraged and quit, and maybe backslide, because they say, God, let them down. Don't do that. Teach the gospel. They must have faith. To have faith, they must hear the word of God. That's the way faith comes. So I taught them. Took time. And then I said, you put your hand on your deaf ear while I pray. And I prayed. And I prayed specific. I adjure all, I use that word again. <laughs> I adjure all 53 deaf spirits. I thought one person deaf, one devil. <laughs> you know, might have been 10 and one, I don't know, don't, don't matter. All 53 Desperate, leave the people now in the name of Jesus Christ and don't come back to them. I stood there, silence. I said, okay, open your deaf ear. 
Stop up your good ear. Now hear me. One, two, three. They begin to shout. They could hear. I said, that's not good enough. I want to test every one of you. My wife was wearing a little, some of you older folks will remember these little Lady Elgin watches, little bitty things. Just barely could hear. And she was proud of her Lady Elgin watch. And so, as they came across, that's what I took to test them. Everyone but three could hear it perfectly. What about the three? Um, remember the leper in Bangkok went back to the north? But he recovered. Jesus said they shall recover. And I told him stern, the three. I said, you keep checking your ear. Come back and let us know because you're healed. You're healed. Had to be true. If the Bible's true, had to be true. Wasn't me hoping it's so. No. I had done what the Bible says. It's true. The next day or two, let's see, we closed on Friday. Before we closed, the three came back and told them, and, and, and we tested them with Daisy's watch. They could hear. 100%. 100%. That's the way God does things. We need to believe that. Expect that. And that was what, with that experience, then our next challenge was Puerto Rico, and the mayor wouldn't let us have the ball field made us use the theater. They almost tore the theater down the third night, and the mayor gave us the ball field that we asked for. We went there. The ball field literally jammed border to border with people. I'd never seen anything like that. And there's where, would you believe my ignorance? I tried to pray for them individually again. Well, they started trying to kill each other to get in the prayer line, to get up an ocean of people and they'd have to come up and get up on that little, little bitty platform. And so uh, I, I thought this is not a, hit, a killing campaign. It's a healing campaign. We've got to do something about it. So I was real smart. I was real smart. I decided I would print a bunch of cards and put numbers on them. And I would give them to the people. And then that would give them their place in, in, in order, you know. And they could come through the crowd. They have a number. Okay, I did that fine. But then they started trying to kill each other killing each other to get the card. And I saw that won't work. So I had another bright idea. I said, well, we've, got, we've got 15 or 20 policemen here every night. Anyway, the city didn't know what to do with this crowd. And so I said, we'll give the cards to the, to the policemen, and they'll have to come tomorrow in the afternoon to get their card, then come at night. And they heal. Isn't that beautiful? Really complicated. We preachers can really fix it up. And, and so that was a good deal, but we found out the policemen were selling the cards for 5 and $10 a piece, and only the rich could get them. Now, that's the story of how mass evangelism began. It's all over the world now. Pastor Billy Joe's going out doing the same thing that I've done. Hundreds of preachers go out and pray for the mass of people. You've heard the story of how mass evangelism began in this century. And so there I was forced to get up on that platform and look at that field of people. And, and joy came in my heart for what I knew from Bosworth, his logistics, but then I proved it in Flint. And I said, okay. That's the way to do it. Any other way, 
you're not going to be able to handle a mass of people. The population of the world is growing so fast, we've got to deal with the multitudes of people. And so I began. And my friends, since that day, I haven't ever had a prayer line again <laughs> because God is interested in everybody. Now, if you only had a few people, that'd be different. And until you, until you grow to bigger crowds, pray for the people. That's biblical. Jesus said to do it. It's right to do it. We're, we're blessed to be able to do that. We can share with people. But, but for me, no, I, I wouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> Maybe I've gotten too old or too lazy or something. But, you know, it's a big job. But God, God, he, he can do it. Are you, are you hearing me? Yeah. Does that help you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, w- I want to just close with one thing here. I guess I better not try to get this in. No, I, I'm, I better not. Believe and act on Christ's word. We did. We did. We went to the world. And I could tell you a stream of stories around the world. And it's wonderful to know what God will do. He has been with us. <laughs> you know, just, just, just farmer people. Just taking what you've got and going with it. Mass miracle crusades, 86 countries. Think of that. miracle films documenting these wonders, the sermons and everything, in 67 languages of the world. Think what that means. You can't, I don't believe you could find very many villages in the free world that hasn't seen one of those films or one of those videos. It's changed the world. Absolutely changed the world. What I'm sharing with you Your world needs you to know it. Literature. Literature. Start. Start printing it. Write it. Print it. Our literature. 132 languages. You know what that is? I don't think anybody in the world prints in more languages than us except Wycliffe, Wycliffe Bible translators. Isn't that wonderful? What we have, no money, no nothing. But just walking by faith, people helping us. People will help you. They're lined up waiting for you to get there. Businessmen are waiting to help you. Christians, simple Christian farmers, mechanics are waiting to bring their offering to you if you'll be honest with them and count them as your partners. And believe in them. Don't use them. Don't abuse them. Let them minister with you. They don't want to help you do it. They want to do it. When they put their money in your ministry, they are doing it. It's your voice, but it's their money. It's partnership. It's a wonderful thing. We've sponsored We've sponsored because we went to, to Toronto, Canada, to Oswald J. Smith's Missionary Convention and heard him talk about rich people come to his convention and the offering plate at his missionary convention. Offering plate comes and the rich people put a good $20 bill on the plate. Big stuff. But the poor washerwoman that says, 
I don't have much, but I got 50 cents. 50 cents a week. Faithful. She commits it. She's going to wash clothes. 50 cents a week. At the convention, she has given more than the rich man. He gave her 20 all at once. She gave faithfully and gave 24. Hallelujah. That's what we wrote and told people about. And people started sending us 50 cents a week or a dollar a week or two dollars a week. Just a little bit. We never did get big gifts. Maybe we didn't, maybe we weren't smart enough to appeal to rich people. But, but, but we were made rich by the poor people, the common people. Hallelujah. And as a result of that, we've sponsored over 30,000 national preachers as full-time missionaries in unreached areas. That's a testimony. I'm wrapping this, this Miracle Life seminar up, giving you a little report how it happened, what began. It works. You can do it. Ask of me, Psalms 2.8. I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance. Uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. John 4. Don't, don't you say there's yet four months? Then the harvest comes. No, 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 no. I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white already. Matthew 28 spoke to them saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore, teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Hallelujah. Go and experience the miracle power of God. Get your, get your paper. Let's read it. Hallelujah. You ready? You ready to stand? Good. I hope this meeting has blessed you. And, uh, and we, we, we've given it to you from our heart. We've come because most of you are young and eager and you want to be used of God. I hope what I've said to you is practical and that it will encourage you because you'll have tough times, but tough times are learning times. You'll have problems, but every problem is an educator. <laughs> You're dumb if you have the same problem twice. When you have a problem once, learn by it, and it won't fool you anymore. Isn't that right? Yeah. Okay. So now, let, let's think about this and read this. We're talking about E for the experience of his energy in us. You ready to read? I am a New Testament believer. Jesus, my Lord, is risen from the dead. And he guarantees his promises for me. I experience his energy. The resurrected Christ now lives in me. The Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus now anoints me. Thank you, Jesus. You said, I can believe all things are possible. Possible in me is as big as you are in me. It is bigger than any problem or challenge before me. Jesus, you are alive in me. The power that raised you from the dead is now at work in me.
Satan knows that and can do nothing about it. You publicly put my enemy to shame and destroyed his works. Now you live in me. The life and virtue that energized you now energizes me. I now experience the power that raised you from the dead. Your energy is now the living force in me. Possible in me is unlimited because I experience the unlimited Christ at work in and through me. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 To God be the glory for the truth that sets us free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, our Savior, who's raised from the dead and has come to live in us, in that sacred and holy name, May the blessing of Almighty God pour upon these people, these who have listened, these who have believed, these whose life has purpose. May they be guided by the Holy Spirit into the field of ministry that you have chosen from them. May they walk in the full anointing that Jesus walked in so that they too may say the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me for He has anointed me. May they walk in that power and may they express that power and that virtue and that love in a hurting world who is living and dying without friends, without hope, without love, confused, disheartened, lonely, hurting, suffering pain, no cure. Oh, may we, we who are here today, may that mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead work in us to bring hurting people to the foot of the cross where they can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Hallelujah. 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 Say, count on me, Lord. I am yours. You have sent me. You have chosen me. You have anointed me. You have justified me. And you've glorified me that I can go and bear much fruit. And whatever I ask in your name, you will do. Count on me, Lord. Here am I. We go together in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Clap your hands again and give God the praise. Glory to God.